Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome uh, to the Foolishness Podcast. Uh, We're going live from rainy Huntington Beach, California. About 150 episodes out. The last few have been really crazy um, in a good way. My friend talking about almost dying in a, in a plane crash, then coming to faith. My other friends talking about the pornography addiction and the rehab, all the rest of it. We are living in a broken world and we want to speak life through this podcast and into your homes and radio. So thank you for the shares, the likes, the comments, you know, but I'll say this. I got up very early. I got out in the rain. I got my Starbucks and I literally Though I talked to my guest a few weeks ago, you know, my friend, can I get Pastor Joe to come on? I'm excited today because I know you are going to be blessed and with wisdom, with a life of encouragement, a life of struggle. A lot of you that I know personally say, Brian, how am I going to get through this? Hold on to your seats because you're going to hear from a husband, um, a father, a longtime pastor, a focus on recovery, um, marriages, really good friend of some of my best, best friends. So... We're hanging out at Pastor Joe Fury. How are we doing? I'm doing great, brother. Thank you so much. It's an honor to hang out with you. I know I hear about you all the time and and know all the things that you're involved in. And and like Mm. you said, we know a lot of the same people. Yeah. uh, We've been able to minister to God's kids in in different venues in different ways. And, and, uh, and we've also had to travel the road of pain in that. Mm -hmm. We, we would like to think that if you get Jesus, you get to escape from a lot of stuff and uh, you get delivered from things for sure. But now you're, mm. you're, you know, you're introduced and, and, and enlisted mm. in his army and in the army, you have an enemy and, and in the, you know, having an enemy means mm. you're going to be a target. And so navigating yeah. life um, and all the unexpected things that happen, um, you know, and, and, I share often with people that we have expectations on God. Whether mm-hmm. we know we do, they will be revealed mm-hmm. because things happen and we expected God to operate one way. And, and you know, that's where people can sometimes get their faith shipwrecked yeah. is because what they believed God would do, he didn't do. Or what they believe God wouldn't allow, he allowed. And now how do I mm. trust that? And, and how do I deal with that? When I'm disappointed in God, disillusioned, as mm. Paul would say, some have had their faith shipwrecked. Mm-hmm. You know, the ship was sailing fine until that storm. <laughs> that storm took them right into, you know, the reef. And yeah. and and you know, thank thankfully you can rebuild a shipwreck. But yeah. um, you know, life has uh, it's a journey, and that journey has mm. many different obstacles and great things too. So that's, I think, some of the stuff we'll talk about yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for introing, because you went over at Calvary Chapel when I was preaching to the youth yesterday, huh? <laughs> because I have to say this, you know, when you've preached something, there's like a nugget in there. My challenge to these teens yesterday 
was the life of Elijah, and he was a mighty man of God, a prophet of God, you know, a prince of the faith, someone that you and I would love to sit down with and say, what did that look like? This is a man that God sent to King Ahab. This is a man that was fed by the ravens. You know, there's Pastor Joe out and ravens are dropping you in and out and, you know, Chick-fil-A and all the rest. This guy was hooked up, raising the dead. He had a victory over 850 prophets. I'm talking to our listeners now. This guy was a mighty man of faith. Think of your, think of your leaders, your examples, the, the men, the women, the men and women of faith. And suddenly one witch opposes him, tells him she's going to slay him. And just as Pastor Joe said then, when everything's going the way we think God should lead, when God's the one we're putting expectations on, we can handle it. But as soon as God allowed Elijah to be challenged and struggle, Elijah fled. He was anxious, depressed. That was my message to these youth. And what it was, was we still go through it. I'm 44. I go through it. My flesh goes through it. Men are still working hard by the sweat of the brow. Women are still screaming in childbirth. We've been delivered. We've been set free. But in this world, you'll have struggle and tribulation. And as I get into this with Pastor Joe, I just want to say he's over a very heavy recovery focused church. So much deliverance, so much breakthrough and so much life. You can already hear from him because I want to get out the way in a moment and just let him go. But the amount of people that I'm in contact with, and I will send people to a lot of churches, but I'm like, hey, get connected with Pastor Joe. Obviously, your friends are my good, good friend, Chris Jones, who I'm I'm, I'm in my office right now where the wood floor is put in by Chris Jones. He's a pastor at your church, God's church, but your church, you've been doing a great job. And then even my good friend, Brad, who does all your filming and that. So, so Pastor Joe, you're over his place. You've got this crazy ministry. Uh, where do you want to start? Take over the Pastor Joe podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess we can start somewhat earlier. Yeah. But uh, I grew up um, as a, as a Catholic, um, mm. My dad, uh, we had eight kids in the family. My dad was a workaholic. He also had a lot of anger issues. Uh, so his his one of his goals was to not live what his childhood was. And mm. that was poverty and up in Rhode Island and yeah. cold winters. He's the cardboard in the shoe guy. And, uh, you know, and, and his family struggled with the depression hitting. And so he had a vision of being wealthy that he would never be like that again. And I think a lot of us uh, respond to our upbringing with that kind of uh, mm. mentality. We want to go opposite and we want to, you know, make up for the traumas of our life and the pain. So, mm. you know, he, he gets married, he has eight kids and uh, none of us spend any time with him because he's working seven days a week and he's an angry man and he's hurt and he's, you know, he's, um, and then he gets cancer and uh, dies when all eight kids are at home. Um, he got cancer when I was 16 wow. and he lived about a year. And uh, and so he became very disillusioned because his goal of life was the future. Yeah, yeah. Provide for you guys. Money. You he was well on his way. He owned a number of tire stores. They had another one in the works. He was on his way to achieving that goal and also achieving the goal of never having us suffer. Mm. Uh, but he didn't know how to relate that yeah, he didn't yeah. know how to relate to his children. He never took me in. I don't ever remember him hugging me. I don't mm. ever remember him telling me he, he, he loved me. Yeah. Uh, he provided for us, sent us all to parochial school. Mm. Uh, I went to the local modern day over here and uh, you know, it's a well-known <laughs> school. And uh, so that 
my relationship as the oldest boy, that lack of dad connection yeah. set me up to be molested by a priest. And uh, wow, you know, um, why? Because this was a man, unbeknownst to me, yeah. who showed interest in me, who wanted to, um, took me to Denny's, yeah. let me drive his car when I was a little kid as he sat in the seat next to me. All that grooming, I didn't know it was taking place, but wow. it was. Wow. Then he ends up molesting my other three brothers. And so this dynamic takes place. My dad dies. I got these terrible secrets. And it's, you know, you have to do deal with that. So that's yeah. a, you know, when you have pain in multiple areas, yeah. um, you are a prime candidate for drugs because it's yeah. the thing that quiets your brain down. And I love sports. When I was in sports, I was present. Yeah. Every area of my other of the rest of my life, I was in my head a lot, trying to navigate life. School was hard. Yeah. You know, I, I was able to get by, but I never could excel. And but when I was playing basketball in particular, nothing else mattered. Yeah, yeah. Just playing. I was I was totally present in the game. Mm. And totally present there. And it was so drugs did the same thing for me. They lowered the mm. the pain threshold. And so, you know, that I, I got into the drug world. And yeah. so uh, for the Sports next. Sports and drugs, that was kind of your out. And it's true. When you're doing something, you're so hyper-focused. When I was yeah. skating so much, when I go to jujitsu, it's like you start the day like that. You get in your way, you start your day, you're doing that, you're not thinking. Then when you can decompress, it's allowed you to come out of that and then focus. But for you, did you know this priest then while your dad was alive? And the fact that you were the oldest means that all of your siblings lost their dad at a younger age than you. You kind of had oh, to- Oh, yeah. The, we shoes, ranged yeah. in age from five to 17. Wow. So, and, and my dad did accomplish um, taking care of us financially. I remember in that last year of his life, he would set out at least twice um, rows of paper on the, uh, uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom on the yeah. dining room table. Yeah. And you'd had his business partnership papers. There was the medical papers. There was a social security. He was preparing. God took this stimulus mm. and gave him the ability to step back because he lived in the future. Yeah, and he was crazy. always moving to that to where his future became his present. And he had the ability to stop and connect with us, not in a relational way, yeah. but in I got to take care of my family way. And, and that is love. That, you know, that is love. That is important yeah. people to hear because I have friends right now probably who will listen and say, you know, my dad never did this, did that. My dad's own dad was such a loving guy, goes to the war, comes back with shrapnel, and could just never really react the same way. So I guess he was bright, he was funny, probably dry humored, you know, a lot like I am. But he didn't relate to my dad that way, but he'd worked hard. And I think a lot of dads, you know, you're told to kind of like shut up and put up and just get after it. And that's definitely the generation prior to you and even your generation still, you know, it's admirable. Where today they're getting away from it, there's all this entrepreneur. So your dad and his love for his family and his discipline literally sacrificed in some sense that relationship where he probably thought, though, I'm going to be a granddad one day, like a time with him then, sadly. But that put you in a very um, immediate leadership role, right? You're like, okay, I got to get But I didn't want ready. it. 
Yeah, well, that's exactly. where the I was the oldest. I, so yeah. what did I do? I gave my brothers the best I could. I coached them. Yeah. I yeah. coached them in sports. Mm. I gave them the best ability to best chance to succeed from what all that I learned playing sports. Yeah. And, yeah. but on a relational level, it was, I kind of mimicked, you know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you couldn't say those words or you couldn't grab a hold. You were just, there's a standoffishness. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, none of us, we had prayer meetings, Catholic prayer meetings all the time weekly when my dad was sick. Yeah. Once he died, we never talked about him again. Hmm. There was never a prayer meeting. I never talked to my siblings. How do you feel about this? How do you? We were all, in fact, it was probably 15 years ago when all eight of us got together and talked about um, what was it like for you when dad died? Because my youngest siblings don't even hardly remember him. Was that a crazy time? Was it like emotion? Was some like I had no idea? And was it just? I had no idea. You know, I went to work with my dad. The only way I could relate to him was working with him. But when we were driving in the car, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, I'd look out the window and he'd drive and no communication. And it was just, it was just the way it was, you know? And then that's, did that lead to like, more was it smoking weed back then getting drunk a bit how hard were the drugs coming in and then the sport was it working for you or did that lead you down a darker path you know well it worked for a while you know yeah. when people are uh, when they suffer emotional yeah um, when you're young and you suffer emotional harm yep your brain has to try to figure what to do and mm-hmm. since you're not being able to express it nobody ever said joe what are you thinking how you feel about this joe you know, it was buck up, quit whining, don't cry, you know, all this stuff. So what do you tend to do? If you can't deal with your emotions, you, you move to your head and you live in your head. This is yeah, how I should yeah, act. This yeah. is how, and same thing in your body. Yeah. When your body is abused, you have to disconnect. I remember being molested and disconnecting from my body. Um, I know what's going on, but I'm not there. Hmm. I'm disconnected. And so what happens then? When that trauma happens, I, I, you disconnect from your body, so you move to your head. Yeah, and so yeah. your world is lived in your head. So drugs and alcohol or sports, or it's the yeah. great calmer. Sedate, yeah. You know, it takes away my pain. It makes me feel good. It gives me the dopamine rush. gives me the serotonin rush. Now, yeah. you know, and now I have a sense of peace. Yeah. But it only works, and that's what you were, uh, you know, referring to. It only works for a while, because yeah. then it creates its own issues. While when I'm yeah, not yeah. high, all that stuff starts coming up again. There's so dependency, it's, uh, and you've hit you know, this. Yeah, and I've heard it said, you know, it's like something happens to you, and like I'm holding a container now. You don't know what to do with all this junk, so you file it on a cabinet because you're six, you're 12, you're 15. I mean, do we even stop growing until we're 21? You know, as men, I'm saying, and then we catch up to the girls, and now you're like 26, punching holes in the wall or 32, telling people to bleep off, and you look on the cabinet, and you're like, oh, this, this what I stored away years ago is probably what I need to process, and then you go to therapy, or then you do whatever, or then you've made a bunch of mess. Like me as a passive-aggressive person, got in so many fights because it's fight or flight, you have to process that, you know, and it takes decades and years and you're still talking about it to this day, obviously to bless us, but yeah, so that process is going on. Okay. Yeah. What's the, what oh, happened yeah. next? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then I did drugs for the next decade, uh, actually got into cocaine 
mm. was my drug. I smuggled it. I, uh, I, I did all kinds of stuff behind mm. it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, ultimately my change of life came was I got married to, you know, uh, my sweetheart and, uh, mm. she left me when she was uh, pregnant with our twins after my son was three years old. And that was the change of life. I, I got sober hmm. and, I, and I, I found my call. Up until that point, I was driving a beer truck. So yeah. in Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach was my route. So you went from and, Rhode, uh, Rhode Island to California. I, I, I grew up in, my dad moved out to California before oh, he even okay. got married. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I'm an Orange County guy from the time <laughs> I was born. So I I lived here my whole life. But I don't drive in the beer truck. So you drive in a beer, beer truck in Huntington yeah. Beach. So I knew everybody who did dirt, and I knew you know, and I I, I was involved in that whole world. Yeah, you're pulling up beer. to them with the truck, and you have a bit extra to give them. Do whatever. Back then, you get away with anything. Yeah. Oh man, I'd steal as much beer as I could. If you trust, if you were a store owner. Yeah. Or a grocery store and you trusted me, I stole from you. I you know, wow. oh yeah, you got 50 cases. I'd deliver you 30. Mm. And uh, you know, and and I'd keep the 20, trade it for drugs on the route. I knew who I knew who every you know, that was my route. Wow. It's funny that God brought me back there to minister yeah. um years later, but that <laughs> was my world. And uh and your so, wife said enough, this is reckless, there's too much, I'm out. And then, My wife didn't even know the extent of what I was doing. Wow! Um, I kept it all a secret. Um, yeah, you know, I had my own secret world, my own secret life. You lived. I, I lived a fractured life, emotionally fractured, not connected, and mm. relationally fractured. And it, you know, I was this. The drug people knew me as one way. Yeah. The, the drug people didn't know the family people. Yeah, My family yeah, yeah. didn't know the. You know, I had five different you know, ways of living yeah. according to who I was with and, uh, and none of them knew each other. So I kept all these things and, uh, but I got wow. down to 128 pounds and I was an, I was a nightmare, man. I'm, I was spiraling. Mm. And, and that's when my wife said, I can't see you die. I can't see you die. I, wow. you know, either you quit or I leave. And yeah. I said, you know, I, I'd always say, yeah, I'm quitting. I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and that's what addicts do. Yeah. We believe what yeah. we're saying. <laughs> but it's a brain thing too, which I came to find out later. Mm. Your prefrontal cortex is our executive function part of our brain. It's the thinking part. It's the reasoning part. It's where we make decisions. Yeah. But the limbic part of the brain is yeah. the fight or flight survival part. Yeah, yeah. So your limbic believes that to survive, you have to do drugs. Hmm. And, and even though in my prefrontal, yes, Therese, who, that's my wife's name. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Therese, I'm going to give it up. Yes, you're right. I, I love you. I love the anymore. kids. I'm yeah. reasoning. But once I come out of balance and I start getting wobbly, the limbic system takes over and it says, yeah. we need this for survival. You cannot survive without this. And I lose all, you know, we call it choice, but I lose all ability to stop. And that's the God part. Yeah. where he gives us the deliverance part that yeah. we can begin to choose. Yeah. But then now we have to start dealing with all the stuff in our life. Yeah, you know, yeah. yes, I, God comes in, but God is a God of tying up the loose ends. Yeah. And so the thing, the wounds of our past that are still bleeding inside of us have to be stitched up. And yeah. so they have to be addressed. So now we have to learn how to deal with our feelings, deal yeah. with our hurts, process our trauma. Um, learn to forgive 
uh, learn to see life with a different perspective through the goggles or the eyeglasses of scripture. Yeah. And that there's a God who loves me and, you know, and in working through all that stuff. And generally speaking, sometimes in our churches, we never even address any of those issues. It's like, just read more, pray more. If you got a problem, pray more. Performance, show up, keep the whole fake it till you make it. I get the the principle, but it's like, no, no, no. Dig up some stuff. I mean, even at 44, the amount of things that have come up that I think back to my childhood, because you know what we do? You have that experience and it makes sense of it. You play it over and over and over. So now the canal, it's ingrained so much more. And you're like, it's so much more of a deeper memory, even if something's off. So for you, did you say, okay, I guess I'm a Catholic, I'm going to church. Did your wife start going? How did you go from this guy who was, you know, stealing beer, doing cocaine to talking about Jesus today? Yeah. Well, a friend of mine that I grew up with, um, he played ball. He 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 went the sports route all the way into college and playing ball. I yeah. bailed off because I just I just did. And and I went another way. Um and God spoke to him. He married a girl from Canada. They were living up by uh, uh, the what's the big Niagara Falls area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God told him to move to Calif- back to California and minister to me. Wow. So he takes his wife and his kid, and I have my wife and my son at that point. And for like two, he gets even a job at the at a beer company. He's driving a beer truck, and he come over with his you know, New Testament in his back pocket and, and I'm, I'm weighing up stuff and I'm, you know, bindling things. And, and, you know, he's trying to tell me about this Jesus and I rejected Jesus. I like Jesus. I just thought he was weak. He couldn't Mm -hmm. control his people. And, uh, you know, so I liked him. Um, and I always knew there was a reason we were here, but he'd be telling me about Jesus and it's like, whatever. I I mean, I went into the new age. I went into, yeah. uh, Buddhism. I went into Pramahansa Yogananda. I always knew there was some reason why we were here. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, and I was searching, but I rejected Catholicism in particular and yeah. Christianity in general. And yeah. uh, but I like Jesus. I just thought, man, you you you're not in control, and uh, you know, you don't even know what your people are doing. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying and, the Pharisees and scribes aren't taking care of the sheep. He's yeah. saying, do what they say, not what they do. You've heard it said, but I say to you. <laughs> so I get, that's a good principle, though, because a lot of people like Jesus because he's a hippie that they picture hanging out with him on the grass and eating some food. They're like, he sounds cool. But you didn't know the resurrected Jesus and the power that he was about to bring into your life. So where well, did you hear about that Jesus? <laughs> well, finally, uh, I said, as I continued to spiral down, I finally asked my friend, his name's Kirk. I said, Kirk. We uh, we met and we went to a park out in Orange and we're sitting in the parking lot in his car. And I said, hey, man, can you Jesus help me? And he goes, yeah, he can. So I said the sinner's prayer there. You know, he gave, he led me in some sinner's prayer. I didn't feel any bells and whistles go off. You know, I didn't shake. Nothing, nothing <laughs> happened, um, but something happened. And so from that point, hmm. n- the next nine months, and my wife got pregnant at that time. Um, the next nine months with our twin girls, the next nine months, I spiraled worse than ever. I went downhill. I did everything more and hard and Mm. stole more, used more, did everything more until, uh, my wife said, I can't live with you. And she left me. And, uh, Mm. I remember being in this dumpy little motel 
in orange and it's called the motel a it should have been the motel f but it was it was a dump Mm. sitting on the edge of my bed with some a little bit of coke left and i'm sitting in this dumpy motel and i said well i'll go down to the jacuzzi i get down the jacuzzi it's halfway filled and it's green as grass it's just it's and i looked at and said wow that's my life that's my Mm. life and then i go sit on my bed and i heard god speak to me and he said he asked me a question. He said, what do you want out of life? Just simple like that night. And it was an outside voice. And it was like, I'm looking around and I started crying because this is not what I want out of life. I'm 29 years old. Mm. My wife has left me. My son, who was the apple of my eye, I, I started thinking, I do not want my kids. And I, she was pregnant with the twins at that time. I do not want my kids to be without their dad. And, and um, it's mm. so crazy that my son was such a great influence on my recovery. Mm. And, uh, but, wow. um, and that's when I called her and said, I'll go to, I'll go, I'll do whatever. So we went to a rehab the next day and uh, I'm sitting there and the guys, and I'm, you know, I'm still in, in, in addict mentality that she's the problem. If she would just let me do my life, we'd all be good around here, but she keeps interfering with my life. And, uh, you know, it, your so, wife keeps interfering with your life. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, for the rabbis, they even look at Genesis, how it says the woman will seek to have control over the man. And yeah. they think that's a God thing because she's like, Joe, what are you doing? Joe, what are you thinking? You know, it's almost like yeah. them slapping us upside the head, like, don't go left, go right. But anyway, so she's, she's the one prodding right now and saying, get this figured out. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're at the table and I, I will not look at her because I am so mad at her. She's sitting across from this little cardboard table. And uh, and and he's on one side taking an inventory, how much you use, how often you use, yada, yada, yada. And I'm a teamster. I'm driving a beer truck. So I'm a teamster. I got great yeah. insurance. Yeah. So he has to get up and go answer a phone or something. They came in and got him. And yeah. it's just me and her. And I'm so mad at her. I can't look at her. So I pick up, there's this piece of paper on the table. And I pick it up and I put it in front of my face. So I don't have to see it's the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I had been busted before and had to go to meetings, but I never went to me. I just signed the card and, you know, I just played games. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like a light zoomed in on this piece of paper and I'm looking at it and I look at the first step and it says our lives are unmanageable and we can't control our use. And I'm going, wow, that's me. Mm. My life is unmanageable. And it's now I'm having a conversation with this paper. (laughs) <laughs> and I look at the second step and the second step says, we ask God to restore us to sanity. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, I already asked Jesus to help me. Then it's the third step says we turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. Mm. I looked at that and I'm looking, now I'm, I'm telling you, it's like the room, nobody else was in the room, me in this paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it and I go, wow, I never did that. I only asked Jesus to help me. So I said, Okay, Jesus, mm-hmm. give you my life. Mm-hmm. And right then I felt this thing lift off me. I don't know if it I, I, I don't know if it was a demon, but I know this. He gave me the ability to 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 choose. Mm-hmm. From that point on, I had a choice. Whereas before, no matter what I thought up here and mm-hmm. believed, yes, I need to stop, I need to change my life, I need to, I just couldn't do it. You're I bound just, by something, yeah. I was bound. And uh, wow. and so the next thing I know, I'm hugging my wife. 
I'm crying, snot crying, broken, just totally <laughs> surrendered and broken. There's, wow. you know, and she, and I keep telling her because I've asked her what, what was I saying? She goes, you kept saying something happened, something happened, something happened. And mm. that was the beginning of the turnaround. I, when the guy came back in, I told him, no, I can't. I, what else can I do besides going to a program? I got to provide for the family. I got it. So, you know, he, he gave me a list of things to do. And I did them, man. If he would have told me to run through the wall with my head, you know, brick wall, I'd have done it. And so because I got, of that that's moment, how surrendered though, I got. You, because this is the thing, like, you know, 40 feet from me, there's there's my daughter's room, you know, which my son's now in. That's where I encountered the law, where I tell people like, yeah, I can't explain it to you other than something outside of myself was at work. And I knew that I knew that I knew. And obviously you've heard, you know, Chris Jones preaching, you know, that, you know, that, you know, you know, he'll say that one a lot as well, because we kind of came up realizing that. But when you know, you know, and even to mess with people's theology, you did pray this prayer. A lot of people have this encounter, but the flesh still struggles. They don't, maybe you don't submit everything. You can get into all these things theologically. Well, when did God, whatever, what we've seen was seed sown. But in that moment, these steps, there was a call to actually lay down your life, to really take up the cross and be like, Lord, send me. And you didn't know where you were being sent yet. God used your family, exposed your weakness and your illness, you know, and your this disease we have of addiction. We're all trying to worship something. Everyone listening, we were made by him and for him, but we're just worshiping the wrong things. You know, we're satisfying ourselves. As Pastor Joe said a minute ago, even with drugs, it's temporary. So you get through some of these things, you do all these things. You haven't got to put your head through the wall, fortunately. What begins to happen? The babies show up and then what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, I begin to, my friend that led us to the Lord, we started going to his church. Wow. And these people bought us um, car seats. They bought us a crib. All this that like their young adults group started taking. And I kept thinking, what's their gig? What do they want? Why are they doing this? Because <laughs> in my world, everything costs. You're you like, know, what's their beer this, run? What are they doing in the back parking lot? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on here? What, you know, or, you know, why are they wooing us? I've been through yeah. the woo before. Yeah. What is yeah. going on here? And they just wanted to love us. Hmm. And that was the beginning. And then the guy, one of the guys there started the first Christian 12 step. This is way back in 85. Wow. Started the Christian 12 step. Um, where they broke down the 12 steps into the verses from the Bible where they came from. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he and his wife started mentoring my wife and I in Christianity, you yeah, know, and it was embarrassing. He, you know, he came over the first couple times and go, well, you know, let's look at John, the gospel of John. I had no idea where that was. I, I went to 12 years Catholic school. Yeah. We never opened a Bible. Yep. I could tell you a lot about the catechism. But we didn't open them. So, you know, I'm looking. Yeah. He just goes, he just goes, go to the index and just look it up. Because you don't want to look like that guy that doesn't know nothing. So I'm flipping through this thick old book trying to, you know, hopefully land on John. Because I still got some ego. Yeah, and, uh, we all know. do. We're in church like, uh, is Micah and Amos and where are they exactly? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> go to the middle and go right if you want to get into the New Testament. Genesis and Revelation, they're the easy ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, so you're embarrassed, that, like not knowing, and this is just God saying, maybe, you know, 
And we can't, we're not bashing on Catholics, but sadly, even coming from England, a lot of church was showing up, a lot like it was on the East Coast, and someone just performs a ceremony and you're sitting there and you could have a belief in God, but you're not really being discipled always. And and a lot of Catholics are, don't get me wrong, you know, but you're not necessarily taking your own Bible daily and devouring it and seeing where John is and seeing where this is. So this was all new to you. Oh, super new, super new. And, uh, didn't understand it, you know, I mean, and, and but it, I, I got a desire for God's word, which is one of the things God gives us. And uh, yeah. so I started learning it and, and going to meetings there. And so I went to the, I went to AA meetings, CA, cocaine anonymous meetings, overcomer meetings, which was the, and this is way back in the eighties when the whole Christian movement towards yeah. recovery was just beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and then ended up leading, th- you know, starting the groups at three different churches. Um, we mm. actually got planted in another church. And 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 that's where I got the call is yeah. that I, I found my purpose. And that was I want to help people like me. Yeah. I want to help people that are caught in this cycle and not just help them get out of the cycle, but help them do life. Yeah. Learn to do life because getting free from something is not getting free is one thing learning to live free is a whole nother deal Mm -hmm. learning you know and so we have to learn about how we think about things and and why we do what we do i I say nobody really starts changing until they start asking the question why do i do what i do why do i you know where did that come from yeah and yeah where and everything has roots and our childhood formation that's why paul tells us you have to be don't be conformed any longer to this world and it's not the world out there. It's yeah. the world you lived in. Yeah, it's yeah. your world. That formed yeah. you. And you had to learn conforming ways in it, healthy and unhealthy. Yeah. You hang Survival. around toxic people, yeah. you will get toxic. Yeah. You will yeah. develop a toxicity about yourself. <laughs> it's yeah. impossible not to. And so you have to reform. You know, we have to be washed in our mind. We get a new heart. Scripture says we get a new heart, but our mind has to be yeah. transformed. So it's the mind still of operating yeah. the way it used to, and that becomes the battle. Well, you said something interesting then that I want to encourage people with because we all have the call to go, but then there's a specific call. You know, if I'm just going, I go to Africa. Well, how long can I stay there till I have to go somewhere else and go somewhere else? No, um, I go a bunch of different places, but I'm planted in Huntington. Obviously, we're called to go into all the world, you know, Acts 1-8 through 2-3-4. But for you, it was specifically this call to um, recovery and helping people. And you just saw God at work and you felt the Lord say, this is it. Start doing these things. Start helping these people. There was just so much fruit. I mean, what would you say to someone trying to find their call? Because I've always heard, you know, where you serve, God will make a way. Start serving, picking up chairs, doing whatever. God will lead you to the call. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get on the bike first. And then at some point you'll be directed on where to ride it. But you know, you have to get on and then you have to learn how to ride it. My ability to minister is in direct correlation to my spiritual maturity. Hmm. I firmly believe, and I believe scripture teaches that you can only be as spiritually mature as you are emotionally mature. Yeah. You know, we see people, they got Bible verses, but they can't live with people. Yeah, they're, you know, yeah. everything triggers them and, and they're responding, you know, always in their flesh. Yeah. And so that maturity has to be dealt with. And, and uh, wow. not that we ever get over the flesh, 
but we do get self-control. We should mature a bit. We should be growing. Yeah. Yeah. We learn to realize what, what, you know, if I am insecure, yeah, I have to, uh, and that was one of my things I'm insecure. So I have to learn to find out where that insecurity came from. Mm. And then now I, because if I don't know where something is, I can't really change it much. Yeah. If I just say, well, I'm an angry guy. Well, you're angry because you're hurt. Yeah. And what has hurt you? Yeah. And wow, now I have to learn to get in touch with hurt. Oh, I have to learn to express my hurt in ways that are productive, not destructive. Yeah, but I have to I be yeah. able to identify that. Yeah. Oh, when I get angry, that generally means I've been hurt. Something has hurt me. Yeah. And so now I got to look at that. Well, what hurt me? What? Oh, I feel disrespected. Yeah. I feel taken advantage of. Then I can put that to the truth because the truth sets us free. Yeah. Was that person trying to take advantage of me? What, you know, what yeah. is that, you know, because my emotions don't know the difference between seven years, seven years old and 70 years old. It responds yeah. to fight, flight, survival. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I want to run from here, but is that the appropriate thing to do? You yeah. And, I, and when I did anger management, you know, one of the things I learned, because I got in like eight fights in a month once when we were going through, you know, our divorce and everything, and I didn't start them. In England, you just get headbutted if someone gets this close. So in California and someone's getting out the truck, I'm like, okay, we're fighting. But what I learned was, because as I'm become a, a believer, in your anger, don't sin. So the Bible doesn't say to be angry, sin. Like if someone came in your house right now, started smacking you around and that, that's anger. That's testosterone. It's coming up. But how you react is the sin. Jesus flipped over the tables, you know, and that's where we get the verse from David's, a man after God's own heart. I think it's like Psalm 126 or something. He had zeal for the temple. So when I'm angry, I'm like, why am I angry? Are you disrespecting someone? Are you going to hurt this kid? Are you doing that? But now how I react that's why things like, you know, jujitsu help or people who do this, people do that recovery, because you can be angry as a man and you're raising your voice shouting. Let's be real. I've told a lot of women this. Your husband's louder because his anatomy is different, but you can be just as angry and not speak for three months and then go do something crazy. So what Pastor Joe's saying is all of us with our anger and issues need to be dealt with for the rest of our lives, you know? So anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just to bounce off what you're saying, I have to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a man, I yeah. have to be dangerous. I have to be able to defend my family. Yeah, yeah. But I have to be dangerous under control. Yep. You know, that's why he says yep. he uses the example of a horse. A horse is a dangerous creature. Yeah. But it can be controlled by a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be able to control that and use it. If you come into my house and want to hurt my family, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. That's just, and I should be able to do that. I should have that mentality, you know, but, but if you're saying something mean, I should be able to be under control and respond in a way that yeah. is appropriate. Because and why are they saying it? What true. happened to them? And you might know who Michael Heiser is. I know Chris Jones has mentioned him. He's the guy who does the divine counsel, the unseen realm. He's kind of, he just passed away from cancer a few months ago, but he did the Logos Bible and he's kind of like the Nephilim guy, you know, small, okay. like nerdy guy, like, like does all the Hebrew, the naked Bible podcast. But I heard him say one time and he's just casually speaking, you know, I'll catch his lectures once in a while. He said, you know, I told my daughter and he speaks real calm. You know, I told my daughter, if you're ever in your room and there's another man comes in, just know the next man coming in will be daddy and it'll be to kill that man. And I was like, 
Amen. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure That's we're a right. bit more rogue than him. I'll hit someone with the TV or whatever I need to, yeah. but we do need to be dangerous. You know, there's, 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 I remember realizing if I was walking down the street and a woman was being attacked, could I stop her? Could I stop it if two men were attacking her? Could I protect? There's the orphan. There's the widow. There's, it's a different thing to die for your faith. It's a different thing to be dangerous for the people you're entrusted with. So, yeah. Yeah, and under so, control. So you, you, you got to de- deal with your anger then. That helped. And then deal with all the pain. and Because you had to go back and deal with this stuff when you were a kid and your family and all this stuff. Was that all part of the process as you were going through the well, programs as well? Oh, yeah. Because you have to go – you have to learn to forgive. It is not just a quaint, quiet stain and, and, you know, forgiveness isn't just like, oh, what they did is cool. You know, I forgive them. It's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal. Hmm. And so forgiveness really incorporates the idea of identifying what happened. Yeah. I have to be able to identify. But the big thing is what it did to me, what it caused in me. Yeah. Feelings, for an example, when I was uh, molested, it it caused me to question, am, am I a homosexual? Is something, mm. what is what is wrong with me to have wow. this happen? Yeah. How, uh, you know, why would this happen to me? Um, and then, then you have to carry, a, it, it made me fracture and mm. carry a secret from everybody. And, 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 and I learned to compartmentalize. Yeah. This part of my life is never to be looked at. So what am I doing? I'm fracturing myself emotionally. Yeah. And so what happens that I become calloused to other people's hurt or I become the rescuer of everybody. Nobody's going to do anything to anybody. Messiah complex. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get, you develop uh, coping mechanisms, coping skills. Some are good and some are not good. So I have to, you know, examine that and then, that's what I forgive. I forgive for, I like for an example, that priest, I forgive you for robbing my innocence. <laughs> I forgive you for taking advantage of a little boy who was vulnerable <laughs> and using that for your distorted pleasure. Yeah. I forgive you for doing that to my brothers. Um, I also, you know, and, and then just right down the line, I forgive you for making me feel like I'm less than. I forgive you for making me carry a suffocating fear of being hmm. out. Yeah. I didn't want nobody to I forgive you for that. Yeah. And so I am identifying not only the wound, but how it affected my life. And then I give that to God and I go, God, you deal with him. Because what do we want? That's where a lot of anger comes from. I want justice for that. Yeah. I want, okay, if not revenge, I want justice. Mm. And and what if I can't get it? Uh, yeah. Well, this is where I go to God. He'll bring justice in his time and in his way. And so I trust him with this case. Yeah. Then I can ask God to heal me. Heal the damaged places in me caused by that. And so we do what I would call a, an emotional inventory of the mm. traumas in our life. Uh, yeah. I forgive my dad for never spending time with me. Yeah, I forgive my dad for not thinking it was important to ever hug me yeah. and how that made me relate to people and and not know, not know. I forgive my dad and mom for never resolving arguments, fighting, 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 but never demonstrated how you resolve it so you can walk together. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. always fighting. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, I learned to tune out. 
And I learned, you know, I had to relearn how to listen to somebody because hmm. I could tune out that which was going on and act like it wasn't a big deal. Isn't and, it funny what you're saying if we step back and you think that so much of life and its struggles is just person to person? Like there's so much craziness, but like it literally is the battlefield of the mind. You know, I think the things that have ever happened in my life where I've walked through and I can think back and say, that was when this door was open. That's when I went home and thought about this. This was when that happened. I've kind of been processing so much of that lately and I'm thankful for so much of my life, but what you're sharing for so many people I know will be listening, they go back 30 years and they're like, if this would have happened, if this would have whatever. And I just caught a show the other night where this guy pictured a scenario a certain way. Then he called his mom on her birthday. And then she shared the scenario from another point of view. And there was something he'd missed. And not that that's the case with you, but it's almost like all you really can do is release it and say, Lord, because who knows what that priest must have been thinking and doing and what happened, you know. You probably know what was his pain. What was his world? And you've heard Joyce Meyer's story. You know, wasn't she like raped by like her own dad or something like 200 times? And she went to forgive him and it happened to him by like his uncle or something crazy. And I'm like, you know, the wickedness and evil of this world. But so through that, you're growing, you have the girls. And does God just start having you sharing your story and all this stuff immediately? Or are you more taking people through the programs? Or how does it look? Because obviously today, you know, this is what you're doing full time. So. Well, yeah. um, four years after I came to the Lord and started working on this and doing 12-step work and starting these ministries in some different churches, because nobody had this stuff. Yeah. And church doesn't talk about this stuff um, uh, a lot. And yeah. so from that point, I was going to the Orange County Rescue Mission on Saturdays, Saturday at eight o'clock. So five days a week, I'm getting up at five in the morning, 4.30 in the morning to drive a beer truck. Now I'm driving a beer truck, being sober, learning to not steal again. You're dropping learning, off 50 cases. You know, pay, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, God didn't take <laughs> me out of that situation and put me on a garden paradise so I could just sit back. No, yeah. I had to, the day after I got saved and the day after I got delivered in that room, I drove a beer truck again. Yeah. And it took me three months to tell my crew out there that I would run with that I don't have any beer for you to sell anymore. I'm not doing. They would ask me, you know, you got what you got today? I got nothing. Okay, that works for a few times. Then it's like, what's going on, dude? Are you not? Are we not? What's going on? You're not 126 it, anymore. You're, you're 145. You're 170 now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I had to say, I finally could say, I'm a Chris. I'm a Chris because I didn't. I was afraid of what they would think. You know, and, and I didn't want the blowback. And, you know, and I, because Christians were weak in my mind. Yeah. They were weak people. Yeah. They let people walk all over them. And that wasn't going to be, you know, I, I did that once in my life. It ain't never going to happen again. Yeah. So, you know, I had to, and finally I got, I told him, I'm a Christian, man. I'm not, I can't do this stuff anymore. And wow. I'm not doing it. And, and they were, you know, surprisingly, 95% of them were cool. And then, you know, and, and it was like, okay, I get it, you know, but you always got to walk it out. You, you know, you start telling people you do stuff with that you're changed. They're going to see if you're changed. <laughs> well, you or- just got to the starting line. Now you're pulling the gun. Now they're going to be like, let's, and it's like, you know, I think it was Jackie Robinson, you know, the manager of the team that brought him onto baseball. He said, did you pick me? Cause I'm tough enough to fight back. And he said, no, cause you're tough enough not to fight back. You know what I mean? So it is the, I'm going to be the Christian. I'm going to walk this out. It's not the Christians are weak. It's that we're called to be stronger and put up with some, you know what? So, yeah. so you start doing that, okay? Yeah. 
I started doing that. And eventually I went to the Orange County Rescue Mission. I was doing that Saturday morning gig with their program guys. And then they asked me to come on board. So I went from driving a beer truck on Friday to full-time ministry on Monday. And I thought ministry was going to be all these godly people. Yeah. Praying and serving Jesus and loving one. They were more corrupt than the beer people were. (laughs) It blew (laughs) my mind. It's like, how does how does this work? Yeah. Uh, eventually, yeah. in fact, the guy that was the executive director went to prison for embezzling money. Wow. And uh, you know, I mean, it was a whole night. God showed me so much stuff, and and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and uh, but in the midst of that, we lives were changing, and I was growing, and I was understanding life, and and yeah. working on my marriage. Yeah. Teresa and I read every marriage book that was out. Yeah, and we, yeah. you know, we were, we were immersed in, uh, the call and, you know, um, and your wife and was just all on strength. board immediately. Like, obviously you went through the system. Was she a Catholic? Was she a Christian? Or did she just fall into it with you? she had received Jesus like in eighth grade, but she was, I mean, she partied, but she wasn't like me, yeah. you know, she, she had, you know, she had scruples. And yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we'll call the episode how to have scruples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> wow, but it was quite the journey. So, yeah, I, I ended up doing that for 12 years, but six years into it, yeah. Um, now I'm a, I'm a full on believer, you know. We go to church, I was praying at my desk in the mission, and I was praying to God and asking Him, God, how come so few of these guys make it? How come so few of them make it? And I heard God's voice again mm. outside of me. He said, I keep sending them to you and you keep sending them away. And what that meant to me was our ministry in their lives was not just confined to a program and mm. a communal living type situation. And that God wanted the church. I knew the church is the vehicle that God's kids got to get planted in. And we yeah. took our all our men and women to different churches Every Sunday, trying to, you know, teaching them, you need to get planted. But a lot of these churches were so far ahead of where they were at. These guys don't have bicycles. And they're going to these churches, some of the bigger ones, and everybody's driving Mercedes. And, and, you know, they got life happening. To these guys, you're like light years away from their life. So I used to sit at my desk and think, what would a church look like if it ministered to this crowd? What would I do if I was at a church? Mm. And what could I do to bridge the gap between recovery and moving into wholeness? Because some of the churches loved helping us, but when our people came in, it was like, there's those people. They were never us. It's crazy. We were us and they were them. Yeah, it's because, I, you know, I go all these different places in America, so you do see, I mean, I went to a church called the Blended Church in, I think, Indianapolis, that was like a lot of black folk, a lot of white folk together, because even in this town, there was like black churches and white churches, and I'm even thinking like, what are we talking about here? And the pastor's like, oh yeah, like we will have our doorknobs and keyholes glued with like that gnarly cement glue, so we can't open the building to to you know bring people to. I'm thinking like what? But for you with the recovery, you know, obviously I came into this at a church that was heavy recovery, all the tattoos, all this. And I'm just like, yeah, we're Christians, whatever. But it is shocking to never see that in some places, or one of oh, those yeah. folks will really stand out. So is that where God gave you the vision? This is what it's going to look like. Gave you the name and the rest, or because it's still all no, new that, to me, you know? Yeah. Um. 
he didn't give me the name. The, the church was already a tiny church in Huntington. And my yeah. friend asked us to go there because we were going to a church in Orange. And uh, we didn't fit in. Um, but God had us there. And that was the beginning of the mm. that. But um, we started bringing the guys. In fact, they asked us, don't bring those dudes. You know? really? And they were all hurting people themselves. But they had the belief system follow Jesus, do this, and don't let any of that influence in here. Keep that influence out. They had all the wounds and they grew up all the same stuff, but their idea of healing was separation. And, and, and our idea, I grew Mm. up in, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. I grew, you know, I, my world was not that, but God told us to stay there. Now I know there was the bigger picture of what God was doing, but it was, that was the beginning. And ultimately, wow. six years later, I went into full-time ministry at the church, mainly because a guy at the mission that came up became wealthy. Yeah. And, you know, people do recover and yeah. became wealthy and supported us financially big time, which really? enabled us to move. And doing, see, a lot of my isms went yeah. right into Jesus. Seven days a week, baby. Yeah. Serve, 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 serve <laughs> at the cost of my own family. I repeated kind of what my dad did, hmm. you know, and my wife at one point told me, Joe, you haven't cheated on me with a person. You cheated on me with the church. Hmm. That's your mistress. Like an so obsessiveness, thought, a passion, just get up. Oh, absolutely. Out. A passion and an ism, you know, uh, yeah. this I'm a hundred percent. So I'd work five days at the mission, two days on the weekend at church. Yeah. So my kids were being left behind. Um, and my kids paid a price for that. That's one of the reasons, you know, Mm. PK kids can get so damaged is because a lot yeah. of pastors devote their lives to the church at the neglect of their family and they become out of balance. I was out of balance. I, I, I'm familiar with being out of balance. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when I got Jesus, I got out of balance. Jesus didn't ask me to do it. I yeah, people you know. need to hear that because you know, and I'm not saying this to defend people or not, but even you listen to the Carl Lentz story, you know, over at Hillsong, the guy who fell and the rest, my buddy Diego, I'll even link it at the bottom um, on the YouTube and stuff. He was a part of that church and he said it got to where, you know, Brian Houston to preach so much. And when Carl was even tired, he said, well, I've done this many services on a weekend. And when you're doing seven, eight, nine services, because the thing is a machine, or it's like these pastors who fly across the country to be the main figure, God will use a donkey. You know what I mean? God has put you in an office, but God is also telling you who's around Pastor Joe, who's around Brian, who's around whatever. We don't want to forsake our families and for the sake of ministry. And it's to anyone listening, it's a balance. It's hard. It's a wrestle. I mean, the reason Pastor Joe's sharing this is because maybe we need to hear this, you know? So, yeah. And even in guys that have jobs, they do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Sports, because hobbies, anything. simply yeah. service. If God calls us into the ministry of church, then we have that as a ministry. Yep. But if yep. he calls me into the ministry of making widgets, that's yeah. a ministry. Yeah. I still have to stay balanced. Yep. And when you're used to being out of balance... And and because of my insecurity, yeah, having a big church, yeah, 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 I'm finally see I'm worth something. Yeah, yeah I yeah. am valuable. The proof's in the pudding. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding. Look at what I can do. <laughs> I so I wanted to build God's kingdom, but I also yeah. wanted to build Joe's kingdom, and you know, be and 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 all of us struggle with that. You well, know, someone yeah. said men are still trying to build their Babylon, and I was like, oh, that's good. When God <laughs> oh, shatters yeah. a few, you know. It's like we say, it's not about the numbers and it's not, 
but it is about reaching as many. Absolutely, it is. And people say, well, the size of a church is what shows it's relevant, and we should all be doing what Joel Osteen's doing. That's not what anyone's saying. But yeah, reach who you can. So the cool thing you just said, though, so someone that was wealthy came in and said, Joe, I believe so much in this. We're going to help birth this and support you so you can just freely focus. So there's God's you know, hand at work, First Timothy 6, command those who are wealthy to give to support the vision, basically. You step into this. You're doing this ministry. And it was called His Place at the time, or what was the church? It was called? It had started a few years later. One of the chaplains at the mission was going there. And, uh, and, you know, I liked him, but we didn't, you know, my world, my, yeah. you know, I'm a street guy. So yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a, you know, he came from, he never even <laughs> drank ever. So <laughs> he loved Jesus and he was, he was a great man of God, yeah. but his world of, you know, life, he grew up in a Christian home. Um, you know, everybody yeah. has issues, but he grew up with a different, yeah. I mean, his idea of rock and roll was, um, Buddy Holly. Know, Huh? Buddy Holly. Not even Buddy Holly. <laughs> Who was the guy that sings, uh, you know, Take Me Home, Country Road? Oh, John Denver. <laughs> John Denver. He considered that dude rock and roll. My mom loves John Denver. Because his parents would only Denver. let him play that on his guitar <laughs> in the secular world. Because wow. everything else he had to play was Christian. John so, Denver is good, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Denver's great. But, you know, rock and roll? Almost you know, heaven, West Virginia. Is that yeah. what he says? Almost. And you know, there's there's actually for those who are just sitting there on the computer in their underpants late night laughing, there's actually a Jamaican version. Um almost heaven, West Jamaica. It's funny. So anyway, but that's funny. So I want to say this because this is relevant though. The amazing thing I've liked about being around people in recovery, and I remember this at the old church. You know, we had a thing with greeting where it's 2010-5 rule. So you're 20 feet out, you know, and I want to say, what's up, you know, and then, and this is just me. I'm such a people person anyway. It's gauging what they're thinking, but it's just being loving. 20 feet out, you're saying something or nodding. 10 feet out, you're kind of extending your hands. And then I'm just a hugger. And the amazing thing is, and you know this, we meet the sweetest people in these churches as well. Some of these people are fresh off heroin and they feel dirty and grimy and they sometimes look it and they're showing up to church and you're just hugging on them. And their family shows up three months later and they don't hug them. These people, the, the, the people who are struggling with addiction don't want to be touched, don't want to be held. They've kind of took themselves away. But now you're brother Joe or brother Brian or whatever, and you're just hugging on each other. And I watched how families would be like, this is what our son's been doing for three months. This is what our daughter's been. This is what's given life. You know, and like back to your point. What are they getting out of this? Like, no, we're just trying to love on people. So anyway, his place is going. You're in there. There's funding coming in. How does it? Unf- I'm just trying to encourage people because this this is this isn't just what you're doing. This is the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, you're talking about the Jesus movement. How God really, David Wilkerson, Leonard Ravenhill. How God really used the Teen Challenge and you know the what was it? Um, Nikki, the guy with the knife thing Nikki over Cruz. Nikki Cruz and all uh, that stuff. Yeah, because this see, is none this of those is, guys were in my world. That's what I'm saying. So God's doing this. Revival was going on. I wasn't a part of that, even yeah. though it was only nine miles down the road. Yeah. Not, I was rock and roll party down. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was watching, I was going to Aerosmith concerts. I seen Led Zeppelin in concert. I even seen um, Elvis Presley in concert. Wow. And yeah. Me, my buddy, 
and 90,000 women. And uh, <laughs> Well, my son's middle name is Presley, Dakota Presley. So did you see the doors ever or no? Never saw the doors. Yeah. No, they were they were imploding at that point. Because my home. wife's dad has seen all those people. And sometimes he's like, oh, I've seen these five times. And my mom's yeah. seen the Beatles all the time. And I'm like, it would have been cool looking back to have just seen. But so you're then, yeah, you're, you're I'm saying this to say God's really doing his own thing. But with all these different people around America who didn't have social media, didn't have phones, so no one really knew we were all doing it. I wasn't obviously doing it. I was seven, eight, nine at the time. But God was kind of using people like yourself to really say, let's work on, you've come out of the 60s, 70s, you know, the kind of hippie drug movement. It's Absolutely. messed up the nation. And God comes in and says, okay, I got to do some stuff here. So, yeah. I'm going to reach people in in that arena. Wow. And, and one of the sayings we have, it's it's, you know, Oftentimes when we see these addicts and these alcoholics and people that are deep, deep bondage, we yeah. go, what's wrong with them? Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. wrong question. Mm. The right question is what happened to them? What happened to them mm. to choose this way to get through life? As the best choice yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. As the best way for them to navigate life. Wow. So, you know, uh, everybody has roots. And so getting sober, getting Jesus is the door opener to a new life. Yeah. But I also have to deal with my old life or I'll repeat the coping skills, Yeah, you know, uh, that I, I've learned um, maybe in a different way. I'll go to workaholism because a lot of times people in recovery, yeah. as soon as they get better, it's like, I got to make up for time lost. Oh my gosh, I'm, yeah, me, yeah, yeah. I'm 29 years old. Yeah, I'm driving a car that I have to put gas in the carburetor to a teamster job when yeah. all the other peers that aren't in my yeah. world of private world, they're buying houses. Yeah. They're doing yeah. they're driving nice cars. Yeah. We're making good money, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like and I can't I ain't got none. Of them. I'm I'm surprising the dope man. Yeah. For his kid to go through college. Yeah, yeah, you know, And yeah. I'm providing all this. So what's our natural thinking? I got to make up for lost time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I didn't get to go to seminary like the, I mean, yeah. these guys that, you know, graduate high school, go right into seminary, get out of seminary, go right into um, yeah. ministry. It's yeah. like, they don't even know what it's like to get up at four in the morning yeah. and slug out a job. Yeah. I think pastors need to do 10 years in regular life to yeah, see what yeah. everybody else is dealing with. Get a because pedigree. Their know worlds what it's like. out there don't yeah. revolve around church. Yep. Church is a slice of their life. Yeah. You know, these churches that go, well, I need you to serve four times a week. How do they do that? Yeah. They're trying to raise kids. And now with sports, yep. you know, you got sports every weekend. You got this thing. You got know. ballet. You got all kinds. Of, there are so many other things to do. Yeah, that you know, church. It, I mean, it's a challenge as as we move forward into the next generation, and God's going to do what He's going to do. Yeah, but it it's is. about I believe in building whole people. Yeah, that's why our theme at the church is building lives, and building mm -hmm. lives is messy because it can be two steps up, one back. Yeah, but we started with recovery, and then yeah. what begins to happen is when someone starts to get recovery, their friends and family start to go, "Well, what happened to this person?" We need to check this out. Come and see the woman at the come well. Come and see. Yeah. And so that so the church over time has become much more homogenous. You know, yeah. they're not we're still a recovery oriented group obviously, but yeah. now I know everybody's in recovery. 
Everybody. Yeah, we're always in recovery. I mean, Jesus was the only one who wasn't in recovery. Paul was recovering. He was left in the desert for a while. I mean, the disciples for three and a half years, you know, we call Peter yeah. the rock. But it's because yeah. he didn't get it and he could take it. He's like, you know, are you going to leave? And then in well? chapter 11 of Acts, you know, Peter gets slammed again because he's running the Peter show. And so maturity <laughs> takes time. So that and was the goal is you were going to help people grow as a church, as a community. Because I would never see your church, like I've said it so much, because I want our listeners to immediately hear recovery and the rest of it. But to me, you're just a church who's so about Jesus, and you've got the events you do, and you've got all these things, and the men, and the prison, and church. But obviously, a lot of people going through recovery, because you're partnered with so much recovery in that sense. Yes, it's a recovery church, but it's a church. I can just show up, and you're preaching the word. You've got everything ran it's a church yeah so just so people listening get yeah. that you know if you're it's, in it's california you know come visit his place yeah oh so and that's one of my little pet peeves about some of the biker churches they take the bikers bring them to jesus but they still look and act the same they still yeah, yeah, you know yeah. i don't have nothing against motorcycles yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff we got guys with them but it can be this is what we're into and this is what we're like and then it's almost excluding other people it's like let's yeah. just you know i want the 70 year old guy who's gray head in a in one of those funky polyester suits who maybe never drank who's like let me tell you this story and then i want the guy who's a total wreck who's like i have one tooth left but jesus is good like have it all. We, you know, yeah. one of the things the generation's been robbed of is that the generation prior or prior is, no, you know, you've stood, people have stood, but when you don't be around elders and people who are accountable who will step on your toes and challenge you, like I'm 44, I want someone that's 54, 64, 84 to tell me something because there's a reason they're old, there's a reason they've done it, there's a reason they've made the marriage work. They got some stuff I don't yet, you know, so. <laughs> there's a value to experience. That when Amen. we're younger, and especially if, if authority figures were not good examples to us, mm. we tend to only have peers around us. Yeah, so, yeah. And and that thing my mom used to say used to drive me nuts, but it's true. Show me who you hang out with, yeah, and I'll and tell I'll you what's you. going on in your life. Yeah. So you and and so as we get older, and like scripture says, let the older teach the younger, because there's a value you learn. Yeah. There's a there's a value to perseverance. You yeah. learn God in deep ways. There's a value in tragedy because you learn the sovereignty of God. And we well, that's where I was going to say, because then, so you plant the church and, and just for our listeners, you know, once you become a Christian, life is so easy. You know, like I get the best night's sleep. No one ever bends my food. In fact, the three cats, they never make mistakes anywhere around the house. But but for you, Pastor Joe, you've had some crazy things in your life. I mean, even in the, the few notes that I have, I'm like, do I really want to ask these things? And you've been very gracious even before I started recording and said, Brian, we're open books. Our lives are living epistles read by all men. So you became a pastor. You're serving all these people. How does life unfold then, you know? Well, I it, it changed when, in, in, uh, when I quit the mission yeah. and I tried to do church like everybody else. And this was about 2001. I, I worked in the mission from 89, 1989 to 2001. 2001, I put them because it was killing my family. Yeah, I can't do seven days a week, and I had to make a choice, and we made the choice to go church. Yeah. Then I lost my way, and I tried to do church like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I tried to do it. I went to all the church growth, all the purpose-driven, all the, you know, and when you're a church of 35 people, yeah, 
you feel like a complete failure because mm. if you ever go to a church conference, they never have those guys speak. Mm. They only have the guys that speak that have 5,000 members, 10,000 members. Yeah. And they're giving you all this information on how to build your church. And it's like, I don't even have the budget yeah. to get a working sign. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. you know isn't blinking because yeah. the bulbs pop out yeah. in the electrical and i mean and, and they're talking about these massive programs they got going bulletins on. and this and this oh my gosh and it's so you feel like a complete failure yeah and yeah. so for five years our church didn't grow at all we were mm. i mean on a easter i'd get 50 and it was like a banner you know and then yeah. i quit keeping track of numbers because that was just a Defeating you in itself. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Because if your value is in, if you're in security and that's still, you know, a thread in your life. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a it, 35 people is a, you know, when you look, when eight of them don't show up on that Sunday, you're, you know, when they go takes, on vacation, you think there's a the church split. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something or someone got raptured and you had the wrong eschatology <laughs> yeah but so, so then this and- is yeah this is you go to these conferences you're doing it you're trying to be the pastor and 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 listen yeah for 20 30 years all these churches and the growth and the business and the ceos and the entrepreneurs the church kind of came a machine and, and you know my heart i mean my thing is just like Get in there and do what Jesus did for three and a half years. My thing is we don't need these intellectual speeches. We haven't got to be the most charismatic. You know, Paul was pretty abrupt at times and showed a sense of humor. But we're preaching Christ and Christ crucified, and we're using methods that work to communicate. And I'm also trusting that Pastor Joe is put here because... God's anointed him and the things he's going to share and the things his life's going to show us, God's going to use that as well. There's a real human element, but the words, what's in there, all the rest of it. I'm just challenging some of the fluff we get fed. Willow Creek did this, or Rick Warren did this, or this did this, or, you know, Tim Keller. You're in the heart of New York and you want to go open 15 shops in the gay community or to drama or this, this. I get what you're doing, but someone coming into your gallery and just saying, oh, you are nice Christians is in the gospel. Someone just going to your coffee shop is in the gospel. Sometimes, for Pastor Tim, it worked. Doing that could be really bad for a church because it stops your members actually person to person, being witnesses, making room for the Holy Spirit, sharing who they are. So how did that play out? You're at these conferences. Did you get the banner working eventually or what? (laughs) (laughs) We tried what we could. and uh, But this is the key. I lost what God called me to. Hmm. And I started to do churchianity and I tried to do, you know, what was going on. And I lost the call until one lady happened to stumble into the church and say, you know, Joe, your message would really work with addicts and alcoholics. And it was like, I don't, I lost, I did what, you know? Yeah. So Mm. that was the, the turning point. And part of that turning point, because during that time I was, I was getting ready. I was putting feelers out in some other churches. And it was like, can I, maybe I should just be a teaching pastor. Yeah. And we had like 90 grand in the bank. Should I just take that money and do a year and a half sabbatical? Cause I'm completely lost yeah, in what yeah, I'm yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. And I remember standing in the little church one day and I heard God speak to me again. He says, I'll bless you. If you go, I'll bless you if you stay, but I gave this to you. Hmm. And that little building God had given, and I hadn't done with it what I thought way back in 1996. Now, this is around 2005. Yeah. So 
four years of just going nowhere in church. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and it was like, I never did any of that. I completely put that aside because of my insecurities. Hmm. And that's what I guess what I'm saying is yeah. the threads of brokenness in our lives, they can be healed, but they can always be gone back to. Yeah. They're not necessarily once and done yeah, and they're yeah, gone yeah. forever. They're a part of our broken yeah. nature, our yeah. flawed nature. And we all have different flaws. Yep. And but that was my and I didn't want to, I was afraid to do any of that stuff because what would people think? Yeah. They'd be it'd be so weird to have a church focused on that that is not a biker church, that is not this, but trying to help people reintegrate into society as blessings rather than curses. Because they've yeah, lived a yeah. life of curse a lot. Which and Orange so, County is, is that's what that for people listening, Orange County is like you surf, you skate, you get into some punk music, rock and roll, you get drunk, you smoke weed, speed, meth, heroin. This is a lot of people by the time they're 35, 40. So they're, they're literally, I mean, how many family members do I have who are going through this? How many people do I have this week that'll say, hey, do you have a recovery church or something? And they even use that term now. So was she saying, Hey, have you thought your message would really bless? Because this is your bread and butter. This is just who you are when you're in the mix, you know? So so what was the humbling moment? You said, okay, Lord, there's 90 in the bank. God's like, I gave it to you. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I decided I'm going to stay and do what I thought. So I told my board what I wanted to do, and they all quit within a month, which was one of the most beautiful things ever because it gave me the opportunity to be free. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. To just go. So we changed yeah. our church and and put some money into making it look like a coffee house. Yeah, I started doing AA meetings in the church. Wow. I started going back to AA just be, not to stay sober, but as a harvest field, and to just let them know. Wow. And they would be blown away if I, whenever I shared, because I'm a pastor, and they have this idea of Christianity. Some there's Christians in there, but it's an untapped. Field it's a, a higher power. It's a different thing. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a higher power. I mean, they're as lost as anybody else is lost, and it's weird yeah. to me that sometimes churches are so against that community because they worship doorknobs. It's like, yeah, hey, yeah, every yeah. every lost community worships yeah. something. Yeah, we're worshiping you know, money. It's like, why are you picking? It's a good ploy of the enemy to keep us out of yeah, that. Yeah, to overlook so what we started doing. just ministering to that field and then inviting them to church. It's like, hey, if you're like, because it, we attract them by by not promotion but by attraction. Yeah, they yeah. can start relating that. Wow, these people are kind of like us. They're not what I thought they were. Yeah, and because uh, yeah. people have been wounded in church, people it's gone to church when they were little. They ain't never going back because families were hypocrites. Junk was happening. You know, there's yeah. life, and this yeah. is the thing. Like you were saying, so many family members are in recovery. We're losing twenty to twenty five people a week in mm. to fentanyl. Mm. It is the no, drug overdoses are the number one killer of yeah. people twenty nine to forty five in America. Wow. Oh, there is hardly a family out there that is not affected by it in some way. Hmm. Whether it's their children, their spouses of their children, they're in their families, mom. Like dad. someone touches something and then snit or just what because it's it's well, the fentanyl now is killing people because you don't even have to be an addict. You can just want to get high on ecstasy for the party weekend and it's laced with fentanyl and it only takes a couple grains of sand worth wow. of fentanyl more than you can tolerate to go into respiratory arrest. My God. And so people are dying right and left. Yeah. And not and and addicts too, 
but people that aren't addicts. In my day, that wasn't going to affect yeah. you. You know, yeah. and, it was the hardcore drugs. Anything you then. buy on the street, the potential of that wow. having fentanyl is really high. And fentanyl yeah. is 50 times more powerful than heroin, 100 times more powerful than morphine. Wow. So you're, you know, you're, you're in deep, you're taking your life, literally taking your life in your hands. Every time you do it. And so then now you go back and you told your board, hey, I'm going to focus on the recovery element. I do feel this is my, my wheelhouse. God's going to bless this. They quit. You start, I mean, you're still preaching every Sunday. You're going to these places. You're doing all this stuff. Does God start fueling the people God in? starts bringing people, bringing people, bringing Christians, <laughs> bringing non-Christians. We start, my wife, you know, would have a fit because we'd have the band playing and we'd be getting ready and worship music. And these guys all sitting on these little chairs with tables and stuff, drinking their coffee. And they think that's ambiance music. Mm. And so they just talked louder. So my wife's sitting in the front looking around going, these people aren't worshiping God. You know, they, <laughs> why you don't worship God until you know God, till you start to fall in love with God. So it was such a crazy, it wow. was messy. It was messy. You got to do a documentary on this because really you're setting the tone for the background to become the foreground because, you know, I'll tell you, I've got family members when they get in the car, I'll put certain songs on and I'll notice when you get out, they're singing, singing. I'll tell you something I did once. My sister flew in from England here and my nephew and on the way home, I said from LAX, picking her up, I said, hey, we just got to run by this place. I'm going to go see this band play. So I pulled up to the Angel Stadium to the Harvest Festival, <laughs> my, my my family and my sister came in from off the airport, and it was like Phil Wickham and these bands playing. And she looks over at me, and she, you know, they're all amazed. It's a stadium, but they're just hearing worship. And I just had to do it because it was funny. I went in there for like an hour and thought it was funny. But so anyway, your church is going. Yeah, your they don't get what's it. Going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't get it, and you know, it's like. Why do they keep singing that verse over and over again? Because <laughs> it's worship. When's the music end? We'd have people out in the parking lot smoking yeah. till the music ended. And then they come in to hear the message because it's, you know, I'm like the guest speaker. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the wow. and so it, it, God it slowly, it, yeah. slowly began to build to where we're at today. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, I mean, we're doing changes now. We're going through some changes, but yeah. um it's been a long process. Uh, we have rehabs coming. We yeah. have people that, you know, we have people that have long-term sobriety and life is going great. Yeah. You know, we and we have people that have a year sobriety and five years and family members of people that are yeah. in there. We have, you know, we get people that uh, we're dealing with a woman right now whose mom trafficked her at five years old My God. And, and would tear stuff off the wall to put money in. And, you know, I mean, just that whole cartel world. Yeah. And which is know, common out so here she's, because we're she's so got close Jesus. to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. She's got Jesus. She's got this stuff going on. But she's also got trauma that she has to process through and, yeah. and, yeah. and you know, learning to do life differently and, and learning to look at men differently. Mm. And you know, all that kind of stuff. That is that the transformation of the mind is a process. Yeah. God does event miracles. And the God also does process miracles. Yeah, and uh, and so we have to understand that He's He does both, and that things take time, and yeah. and uh, and then you got all these other families. You know, I've I've preached at a church where grandmas came up to me afterwards and said, um, 
I can't share this with my friends here, but my please pray for my grandson. He's mm. got an addiction problem. But the church, you know, I always believe a church takes the flavor of the pastor. So yeah. if you give permission to be real, Amen. then the people will be real. Yeah, the if humility on the pulpit. They won't be. Well, this Man. is something that really leads into some of the crazier parts of your life. Because I'd be honest, I think most men in your shoes would have wouldn't been able to keep going years ago. You know what I mean? Like some of the things you've faced and you've walked through that people have shared with me and whatever like that. Because you've also been in this church now and you've gone through crazy things yourself that you've got to bear witness and be a light to other people still. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, um, so we're doing church. My twin daughter, one of my daughters gets pregnant at 16. Hmm. It's And that was our first, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, yeah. You know, and people left the church. I had to call the, we're part of the assemblies of God. I had to call them. Do I need to step down? What, you know, yeah, yeah, this will yeah. manage your family right and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was our first shock of, I thought. Yeah. And, and there was pride involved there. I thought if you do A, B, C, we, all my kids didn't, my girls never saw me hot. They yeah. they only knew church. They only knew the Holy Joe. And they only knew this world and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, and God, you let her get pregnant. I, you know, mm. on, on a party with a guy that isn't even her boyfriend. Mm. And it's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. what the, how does this work? And I, God revealed so much pride in both my wife and myself in the sense of when we see kids in our Christian view, Kids go south. We said, "Oh, those parents! What did they do to them?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it changed to when we saw kids doing, you know, troubling things. We'd say, "Oh, those poor parents! Mm. <laughs> what they have to deal with now." <laughs> so there, we started to get a balance in there, and it showed the pride of our hearts mm. that we thought, yeah, by raising our kids Christian, we were better than others. Never would say it. Yeah. Never would say it, you know, never, and never really were identified. I was going to say, maybe never even realized it, but just never even realized path it. we're doing it. Yeah. Yes. And then real, and, and, and had this false belief that we could legislate sin out of their lives. That if we did everything mm. right, our kids would do everything right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and this fantasy, I don't even know where sometimes we get this in the Christian church, but it seems to be prevalent. And wow. I think that's what can shipwreck our faith. Yeah. So we navigated that. And like I said, people left and, and, uh, and she and had the baby then. Yeah. We had, she had the baby. She didn't get an abortion. Mm -hmm. So that's a plus. Yeah. Um, but we ended up raising another kid at 16. I mean, not only her, but her baby. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so now we're reparenting that whole thing. And that lasted a while until she moved out and, 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 you know, life. Wow. Um, so we, we got our first heartache, but that boy became, the apple of my eye. I love that boy. Mm. Uh, he was my, came a grandpap at a granddad at 45 years old. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. 44. I'm thinking it could be next year with the age of my son and his wife. You know, they've been two and a half years in, so it's possible. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's possible. Yeah. And, and their grandkids are wonderful. There's a love for a grandkid that is different than your own kid. Wow. It's, you know, and, and, but so we kind of help co parent and, uh, and that was our first big, then at two years old, this little boy gets a cancer that could have killed him. My and gosh. I, you know, I remember holding him up and offering him to God and say, you gave him to us and I'm giving him back to you. 
but I'm praying that you'd heal him. And God did. Wow. And God did a miracle in his life. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, that was, I mean, yeah. there's, there, you know, and then just the life's up and downs. My wife, yeah. well, obviously we reconciled. We learned yeah. to love each other. We, yeah. we, we've been married now 42 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've had uh, quite the journey. Yeah. And then uh, my son, when he's turned 17, he starts in his drug world. And he yeah. started using pot and ultimately Norcos and it led to heroin. And, uh, and it was like, I, you know, um, yeah. And a great kid, artist, musician, phenomenal musician. Um, wow. but he had some issues, you know, he had some hurts in his life that he, he navigated and yeah. so he ends up getting married and clean, clean, sober. And then when he's 29 years old and I thought, wow, Two and a half years sober. He's now married. Twenty nine. That's when I got sober. Yeah, God, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And he didn't do half the dirt I did. Yeah, he didn't do seventy yeah. percent. No, no, be of the crazy world no, I live. <laughs> yeah. And then um, he, for some reason, they're living with us as he's building his business. Yeah, yeah. He and uh, he goes out in the morning and dies of an overdose in our bathroom. Uh, and uh, and. Uh, Wow. Devastates us. You know? So as a pastor seeking God, all these things, I mean, like I was telling the youth the other day, it, it's in front of us all. It faces stuff, you know, like like addiction issues, struggle. He ends up passing away. And then you, you're, but this is causing the church to get behind you and around you, right? I think even Chris at the time, you guys were good friends and all this was going on. You're in a recovery church and people are seeing how radical this can be. And you're being loved on by the sheep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, 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 yes, without a doubt, they loved us. And part of that was, um, we helped them in their time of need and wow. they and, and they were there for us. They returned it, you know, wow, wow. what you sow, you'll reap. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, but on a personal level, it devastated us. I remember the day after my son died, I'm holding my Bible in the backyard mm. and, uh, and I, I held it up to God and I said, what can you show me in here to comfort me? I said, uh, you know, for 25 years, I've served you in this ministry. Mm. You let it take my son. That is so cold. Mm. That, that is, I thought you'd have my back. Mm. I have fought this thing and you let it take my son. And I heard God's voice again. <laughs> and, he, and he said, you want comfort? I'll show you heaven. And for the next year, I studied heaven like never before <laughs> i stuff for over 400 verses in scripture on heaven one of the most mentioned things in scripture <laughs> and yet for most of us we don't look at it too much yeah we're concerned about god get me through this week <clears throat> and the great reward of our lives is eternal life in heaven and ultimately yeah. the yeah. new heaven and the new earth this is and, the temporary you know, yeah yeah we we win Wow. And so it get, did comfort us and God has used it for countless. I've gotten, you know, God opened a ministry to where we get calls from pastors and people that lose kids. Mm. I know Greg Warren lost his son. I know Greg Laurie lost his son. Yeah. And I remember one day talking to God about losing my son and he's my only son. And, and, and I heard God, my father's voice say this, I lost my only son too. And, mm. it, and so we were able in a very weird way, grieved, yeah. Yeah, who lost sons, their only sons, yeah. and uh, you know, so you learn about God in a, in tragedy in yeah. a way 
you don't in prosperity. Yeah. And yeah. you learn. And, and I also know this, God never told me sorry because he doesn't make any mistakes. Mm. So if he takes my son, he's there to comfort. Yeah. He's there to help us, but he doesn't say sorry. And uh, because that would mean he made a mistake, but yeah. he's sorry for the pain, yeah. but he's not yeah. sorry that this thing happened because it's part of the plan and it's a good plan. And he's but the author and finisher of our faith, and he's got to take us at some time. I remember praying for a kid at our old church, you know, for like months and months. Um, went over to his house with Tony Hawk, me and Tony Hawk, and I wrote for these companies, and it's a Catholic family, Hispanic family, and we're sharing the gospel. Obviously, Tony's just sitting there like, what is Brian doing? And the house was so dark and just dull, and they were a classy family and together and beautiful, but this kid's sick. And then we'd bring him to church and we'd pray for him and pray for him. And he passes away. He had all these crazy ulcers. He was 12 years old, I think. Henry was his name. Beautiful little boy. And I was like, Lord, why didn't you heal him? And that verse kept coming up. The wages of sin is death. We have to leave at some time. Hey, Enoch got raptured, you know, we're talking about. And then you've got Elijah and the rest. But we all have to go by the way of the grave at some time. So God has to take us at some time. Even a post the other day and people are like, why isn't God walking the streets of Gaza? Why isn't God stopping this? I'm like, God is doing that. God is walking the streets of Gaza. The gospel is being preached. People are coming to faith. People are leaving this earth. We don't know. So you faced, you got a whole different PhD. I mean, when you're like, what can you show me in this book? And God's like, okay, I'm going to show you heaven. So it did comfort because... I read of someone passing away today, and you know who it was? It was one of the security guards at the Refuge Church here in Huntington Beach. Mm. I didn't know him personally. I talked to him <clears throat> once in a while when we do something there, but I could see, you know, you'd see him walking around Target, and I think he was 59, passed away like yesterday, and I just wrote, you know, oh no, and then just, he graduated. He's more alive today than ever. He graduated. My mom graduated. You know, when we miscarried, we graduated. That was it. So you faced enough. Did, did the heaven ideas, what did it do? You just got to see he's in a better place or what? Well, I mean, there's the big picture of he's in a better place. There's a big picture he's alive, more alive than he ever was. Yeah. And then there's the great, great pain of never seeing him again here. You know, God has given us some dreams and has showed us different ways he's still active. They're still active up there. Yeah. They're still involved yeah. in what's going on here, just in mm -hmm. a different way. Yeah. Um, but, um, it was, you know, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, you run every emotion. God, I deal with people that yeah. try to kill themselves with overdose and they yeah. can't do it. God yeah. won't let them die. Yeah. yeah. And here's a guy that was clean for two and a half years. They found one needle mark on him and he dies in our bathroom. How yeah. is that even yeah. fair? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you run yeah. through every emotion. Uh, there is, yeah. and this is one of the things I've learned, and we learned from our son's uh, death, mm. was, is, was that if God wants to reach certain groups of people, yeah, he has to give us commonality. He did it with our drug life and the molestation. I mean, you know, just a molestation, three out of every five girls is molested, two out of every five boys. So it's it's out there. So you get a room of 100 people. My you got gosh. 65 people in there that have been molested. Those numbers have gone up, huh? Yeah, they've gone up even more, you know, wow. so, you know, that that dynamic. But yet so often we don't talk about it. So what does God have to do? 
If he wants to have people reach those people and yeah. get their ears, he gives us commonality. We would never choose it most of the time. Yeah. I would yeah. never, ever choose my son's death to bring life and hope to a lot of people. Yeah. And, but that's what he does. You gain an ear for them, yeah. you know, and that's why our testimonies are always so important because yeah. uh, they teach people. Now, the beautiful thing about testimony is if you can come out the other end better, you know, you come out there, if you're in the testimony and that's where so many people spiral, we've talked to people who've lost children that they don't leave their house for five years. They don't, they, they spiral into a yeah. fetal position. Yeah. They, they, you know, um, I mean, it, it's, it's so devastating that type of wound. They say it's one of the hardest wounds to, to deal with. Um, yeah. because you can never get a child back. Yeah. If you lose your spouse, you can still get another spouse. You can never replace that person, but you can get another spouse. <laughs> Some of them listen to like, hey, man, I got another one. <laughs> We're not pushing that on everyone either. Yeah. This time healthier. <laughs> <laughs> they're in church. They got a Bible. They're godly. No, but it's yeah. true because it's, 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 you know, it's an evidence of the curse. Like we don't want to bury our children. But no, I, told the, I told the kids the other day, you know, we're not in the garden. The problem yeah. is we're trying to find comfort in an uncomfortable world where me and Pastor Joe are aliens. Hey, we're having a good day. You know, the background and our, both our videos, it's rain and it's nice. It's sweet. We're having a giggle, but this isn't our home in this yeah. home. There's car accidents, there's suffering, there's fentanyl, there's there's missing love children. It's so so God really used this commonality with molestation, with with a sorrow, with pain to even extend your 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 reach as a pastor to help people. Not having a father, I haven't seen my dad in fifty years. Yeah, uh, you know, I I wow. I I still dream of him. I still have dreams about him. I I just haven't yeah. seen him. So what that gives me commonality with people who have lost their dads or their dads yeah. have moved or their dads divorced and never saw him again. Yeah. You you have you get a pain from so you and that's it's not just about identifying with pain, it's about identifying with healing too. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it you can recover. I'll always have that wound. It'll scar more, you know, I'll always have the scar but it doesn't have to be bleeding everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think of my son every day. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, there, there it's, uh, I sometimes forget what he sounds like, you mm. know, and then we'll play a recording from when they were little kids and stuff. And, uh, I, in fact, I remember when he, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's his voice. Wow. Talk on a recording and go, oh yeah. Cause it's been 12 years now. My and, gosh. Uh, and so, you know, the part, you know, He's always on my mind, always in my head, but sometimes I forget things because yeah, yeah. I just do. And I have a recording of my mom's voice too on the phone. It's the same, or, or you know, an interview online. It's the same kind of thing because, and I want to say this because you said it, and I didn't realize this till recently. Even for my wife, you know, Christmas time is the hardest time for her, missing her mom. Her mom passed away of ALS. And as much as we can comfort talk about heaven and the Lord and the rest, the hard thing for her is I just don't get to see her this side of eternity. I don't get to smell her and yeah. hold her hair and whatever in, in this version of earth. We get a new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, you know, Revelation 21, 22, but we want them now. That's the difference. Absolutely. We want That's them to watch this podcast or for you to him come in the room and interrupt or something. That's what we want. But oh, that's, yeah. that's again, trusting the Lord with, okay, God, you know, your son wants to be with the Lord. And I've heard Greg Laurie say that, like, oh, I want my son to be here, but 
he doesn't want to be here. He wants to be no. with the Lord. He misses us. So, yeah. yeah. And that's the great pain of loss. You know, there, and for all of us, there's an orderliness to death that ought to take place. You should die when you're old. Yep. And kids shouldn't go before their parents. Yeah. And so yeah. when the order gets disordered, that's, that's, you know, every yeah. parent spends their whole life raising their kids to make sure yeah. they don't die. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. Don't do this. Great, don't touch that's that. a parent's greatest fear. Yeah, is their children yeah. death and, and one of the noble things about my dad going back 50 years was that when he found out he was going to die he and my mom went to the cemetery and they bought plots he bought a plot for him he bought a plot for my mom mm. and he bought plots for his mom and dad because he ended up taking care of them wow and he bought plot for a dis his disabled brother and he also bought another double plot in case any of his eight kids passed away when they were young. Wow. What's crazy is my two kids are buried in that plot that my dad provided for 50 years ago. Wow. And I, and, two and kids. My, yeah. And uh, yeah. Two of our three. And, uh, you know, so. Um, yeah. So 12 years ago was your son. Then you had to go through another tragedy all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Six years later. Yeah. My, my daughter was uh, murdered by her husband and then he took his own life. And now we're raising their three children. Um, so it's like, I've, I've been involved in three generations of raising kids. It's like, was this your daughter well, pregnant at 16? Well, that, not that one. The one the that went, one. Into, her sister that went into the military, met her yeah. husband in the military, um, married him. They met in Afghanistan when they were both deployed. She was a thoracic um, technician where she would work with the, you know, with chest wounds. It was a, it's one, she had to be specially trained from wow. a medic to a surgical tech to yep. a specialty surgical, surgical tech. And he was a ranger type guy. And he was, uh, they met in the hospital because his field of expertise was medical. Yeah. So that's where they met, went in a hospital serving the uh, people that lived in Afghanistan. They, I mean, it is third, third world. She'd show us pictures yeah. of women with breast cancer and their whole chest was gone. And wow. uh, they had no medication. I mean, it's, the, that world is yeah. fourth world. Yeah. And uh, so she did that. She actually got commendations for the most volunteer hours putting in. Uh, wow. She was a stud. She was yeah. uh, you know, trained in both the Navy and the Marines. So This she was her life, military her. woman. Yeah. Yeah. So she did that for six years, met him, and he, he got two bronze stars carrying a guy in battle to safety. I mean, he was a badass. Yeah. And she was yeah. a badass. Yeah. But once you got him out of that arena, he couldn't function. And and he was so PTSD'd out that he wasn't he wasn't violent, but he was absolutely not present. Couldn't relate to the boy. He had three little boys, um, so she ended up saying, "I can't do this. I have to. Do, I can't live like this." So when she divorced, was getting ready to divorce him, he looked at it. I believe anyway, like she became the enemy, and so he ambushed her and and murdered her in front of her son we were on the phone with her it was a sunday morning i'm getting ready at 6 30 in texas um and we were talking to her on the phone and he had threatened her a week before my wife was there she my wife firmly believes that she was there he would have murdered her too but uh she had come home 
and and she they it had gotten so bad and so he had moved out and they had to have the police there to do the exchange because the littlest one was 20 months old still nursing still a baby My a little God. toddler 20 months uh the the middle one was five and the oldest one was eight and he had already had them at his apartment he got them on the weekend yeah you'd get them on friday night have to return them sunday but he'd get the baby on sunday morning and return it sunday afternoon return him sunday afternoon so she went home we're on the phone talking to her i'm starting to get ready and she walks into the house and with him puts him down on the floor of the baby and she goes in the kitchen she goes somebody's been in here the cabinets were all open and we told her get out get out of the house get out of the house now and then we heard her say don't touch me don't touch me, don't touch me. And we heard the phone drop. It was still on and her run. And then we heard bam, bam, bam. Oh my gosh, uh, Pastor. I know. And and she died on the front porch. She almost she almost got away. Um and uh mm. and uh and my wife started screaming on the phone, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I grabbed my phone and called 911 here to get 911 there. And uh, I got a hold of them. And they, they, yeah, we're on our way. We had gotten a call. We're, we're on our way. And, uh, and then they, last thing the dispatcher said is, we're on scene. And, uh, and then they hung up on me and they wouldn't answer the phone. And we got a call from a neighbor saying, Sarah's passed. She's, oh my God. She died. Oh and uh, so we flew out that day. Our Were you whole meant world... to preach? Were you getting ready to preach a service? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was getting ready to preach. 6.30 in the morning, starting to shower, get ready for the 9 o'clock service, and then the 11, and and uh, our whole world changed. Did someone cover? Were you like, we got to go, whatever? Did you just? Oh, yeah. I called Chris, and I called a couple of the elders, and I said, uh, my, God. my daughter's been murdered. My daughter's been shot. I don't know. At that point, we didn't know. And... Uh, and then uh, her husband hmm. took the baby and ran out and was driving. They pinged his phone. They were able, they followed him. Because first of all, they didn't know if he killed the boys. So they broke Where were the other two apartment. kids? Were they off somewhere? They were. They were at his apartment. And they were sitting there watching TV. And he was and maybe I, taking the kid back there probably, huh? The other one? No, he took the car and he headed to another county up north. And they were following him from a distance, but they didn't want to surprise him for the sake of the baby. And uh, ultimately, uh, he called his mom, and we didn't know this, but he told his mom, I killed Sarah, and I did it, I did it, and he said, I'm so sorry. And his mom fell on the ground and said, no, no, Ricky, no. And she was, I mean, can you imagine hearing from your son that he committed murder on your grandkids' what mom? And oh she said, turn yourself in, turn yourself in. And we didn't know this for a year, because her mom... His mom and Therese didn't talk, but about a year after this, they had the mother-to-mother -mother talk. And oh with your both, wife, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they grieved, you know. and well, uh, guilt and, and shame and everything. She didn't leave her house for a year. She still doesn't leave her house. The shame and the pain and, you know, all, you know, I mean, it's gnarly, man. It is so gnarly. I remember man. Chris or someone sharing, and, I, I, you know, it's the things where, like, for weeks, I'd just be thinking about it. It would come up and it would be come up. And I know you got, you know, 
um, flattered with roses and the church loved on you, but it's one of those things that you're just like the human mind and the psyche and the pee and all the rest of it. <laughs> and even you being on today, I'm like, oh my gosh, like even the smallest of things, I'm like, you go wherever you want to go, but you just sharing that. But the fact that he called and yes, as a B word and then went through with all that, but told his mom, what am I doing? And he didn't end up turning himself in, right? He kind of fled. She, got- she begged him to turn himself in. And he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So ultimately end up uh, putting a bullet in his head while he was driving. And thank God his foot went on the brake and he glided over to the side and they were able to save the baby. The baby's eardrum was sitting behind him in the car seat was uh, perforated because of the sound of the so gun. So it's still affected now, huh? Um, it's healed. The cool thing about an eardrum, it can heal. It didn't oh go, gosh. you know, and so he's but healed. He, but he was traumatized. Why would he uh, just pull over and be like, I'm going to just pull over and do this? Why would he do it while he's driving? Oh, I have no idea. Gosh. And I remember, this is the crazy part. I remember... Um, when I was on the phone, begging God, let her live, let her live, God. Let her, I mean, from the a dad's cry from the core of his. This is beyond Abraham with Isaac. This is like yes, let her live, God. And the and I could feel the presence of God, and the answer was no. The answer was no. He didn't say <laughs> oh no. Gosh. But the way it played out was the answer was no. And she and was learned, a believer? Huh? She oh, yeah. A, she was getting ready for church. She was going to get ready for church. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the best church ever that day. We know that. <laughs> you know. And, 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 and my wow. wife and I still to this day wonder why God let us hear that. Why would he let us hear our daughter be murdered? And uh, maybe it was so she wouldn't be alone. Maybe it was. I don't, I don't know what it was. Um. Well, you know what? Your your wife brought her into the world and had yeah. exit, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, crazy. I mean, and... and I'm laughing. And why didn't you let her live? You know? Yeah. Why didn't you let her live? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, so, I mean, uh, there's so much to the story of the journey and how, you know... I mean, the baby had night terrors every day, three or four times a day, of uh, just screaming uncontrollably, eyes glazed, staring. The twenty-month-old mom die and his dad die, and but when you're nonverbal, you know you're still recording. My God! So the yes. only way a nonverbal child can release from the body is to scream or turn. That's why when someone's holding a baby, and you know a stranger comes up, they have only a couple options turn their head and ignore it, cry or hold on tight to their, you know, to this. They don't have a verbal way, although they are recording this in their being and it goes to their body and his body was releasing it and we'd be holding him and he was not present. And this went on for a year. Well, it's like that when they talk about the boys, the boys, you know, the cops kicked the door open with guns pointed at him. Um, because they didn't know if Ricky was there. The Ricky was the dad. They didn't know if he was there. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know if these boys were going to be alive. And they and were how they old? These two little boys, five yeah. and, and eight. They take these two little boys and they're sitting in the police station for the next nine hours. Oh, they gave him McDonald's and they loved on him. But they, that why are we here? Yeah, we went from cartoons those, to this. Yeah. Yeah. Those boys never went back to their home again. 
they never went back to school. They were in, you know, kindergarten and second, first grade, whatever the grade was. But they came to live with you, right? They came to, we stayed in Texas for two, uh, two and a half weeks because we had to get, uh, we had to go to court and get guardianship. And, uh, and the police stayed there the whole time because there, there were some members of his extended family talking a bunch of crap about, you know, stuff. So that we had a, a, a guard and, wow. uh, yeah, they picked, police picked us up at the airport to take us there. And I mean, we were in, we were in shock and surrealness. And we're I almost with- thought you were going to say something else then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> some of our yeah, listeners was, are like, uh, I'm sure some of those words were flying through your oh mind at the time. Well, my as God. a dad, I, I had thoughts for a long time. I should have killed that guy. I should, you know, because what's a dad? You want to protect your kids. Yep. You want to protect your daughter, especially. Yeah. And I couldn't and that's the that. sovereignty of God. Where we've got to release it and say, you know what? I told a woman this the other day is that God doesn't have grandchildren. They're all his children. Your kids were God's kids first, and he gave them to you for this lifetime. And, yeah, you said some deep things. You know, why did he allow this? And, man, praise God for you and your wife that you have each other. And I can only imagine what she said and thought and you guys have walked through. And you you do have the kids, though, right? Are they still in California? We, we still have the kids. Um, yeah, they're, you know, the, the youngest one is now seven. Um, so And he knows us. And the older one, you know, I mean, they've been in therapy. Um, you know, you have to, they are different than all the other kids. You know, that's part of the forgiveness that I had. It took me a year and a half to forgive him. You know, I knew I needed to, but the truth was F that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. He got nothing coming, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't want him to be in hell. I don't, I, you know, but, you know, you, why don't you just kill yourself? Yeah. Why, you know, why? Yeah, why? when you'll turn How it on everyone else. up do you got to be? Because your pain stops the minute you take your life. You're out of here. I mean, for wherever you go, I get it. Yeah. But mess with him, mess with... You've got to hope it is the PTSD. do you got to be to do yeah. that? You know, yeah. and, and so, you know, I, I was able to forgive him and walk through a lot of the same things. You robbed my daughter of a full life. You robbed these kids of seeing their mom. You, you, you did parents. all this. Yeah. You changed our life. I am now 68. When the youngest one is 18, I'm 79. Yeah. I'm having a senior in high school when I'm 70. You robbed my retirement. Mm. You robbed me of grandchildren. Now I have to be a dad. There's a difference. Now I God is but God is sovereign. (laughs) God is sovereign. And, And 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 God again didn't tell me sorry. (laughs) <laughs> hey I, i'll comfort you. you and i'll be with you but you know what i mean i didn't even know there was a group out there it's national and it's in europe too called parents of murdered children oh my they get God. together in groups of support groups i mean there's there's a you know every time someone dies and all these gang deaths and stuff there's a devastated family behind that and 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 we are now living a life you know, that's, and, and yet I know God loves me and I know his plan is good. And I know she's in heaven and yay for that. But in the meantime, you, I've served you 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and wow, how does, 
How does it, you know, and I know in scripture, these people suffered horrific things too. Cut sawed in half, it tells us. Do you know what, Pastor Joe? I've never thought about this and I'm thinking about it now, but but God could have stopped Cain from slew and Abel. That's right. I've never thought about it. He could have stopped it. He says his blood cries out to me. He could have stopped Eve from being tempted. And we don't know his plan. Obviously, the human will and what we do and the choice. And this this episode is going to make some people think some stuff and get some closure and figure it out. But, but then you must have almost immediately just pushed this into sermons and into reaching people and encourage them, right? Because the flock came around you and wanted to walk through it. And did you just say, I'm going to let it out at times? Or did you keep it in or what? No, I mean, I we took a month, six weeks off. I, I mean, I had to, not only that, but once we got the kids back here, I spent the next month and a half, eight hours a day doing all the paperwork. I had to do all the Army and the Navy paperwork nice. and Social Security. God. And all my kids, they had a house. They had all their life. We had to go empty their, their I mean, it was. Psychological it was in itself. In the midst yeah. of trying to deal with these damaged, you know, food every day and clothing and, and okay, now they have to go to school and, you know, register. I mean, it just, our whole life flipped, Wow, wow. you know, and, and it, it, you know, and I remember people telling me a couple people after I preached once in a while, they go, Oh, you're processing, you're processing in your sermon, you're processing, you know, cause you have to process this stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I had to go back to work. Yeah. I still have to bring money in, yeah. you know, yeah. and, 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 and people, numerous people came up and said, man, if that stuff ever happened to me, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah. I couldn't, I don't know how, and I'm glad you don't know how it is. I don't, you know, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm glad you don't know how to deal with it Yeah, yeah. because yeah. that's a good thing, you know, and, wow. but yet God obviously wants us to reach people in that arena. Well, so look at who's going to listen even today and be like, what? I mean, I, I'll get messages immediately, you know, hours after. You will if you're on, you know, Instagram or your church or whatever, because your words are going to help people and encourage people. And it sounds to me like for the last two and a half hours, what we really just talked about is him, God being good in your life for sending his son, Jesus. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and that's what we need because people say, how do I find closure? We don't get closure. We get something better. His name's Jesus. Yeah. And and you've said some powerful things about the audible voice of God, you know, outside of yourself about, I said this, I did this. No, yes. I mean, it's a, yeah. wow. And but, then but so, silence in some things. Yeah. The, like I, I could feel the presence of God, but I he didn't say nothing, and the, but he did. But you know he has you. You know he has you and he has your wife and you feel his presence. And 30 years on, you're sure of your faith and salvation and what the Lord's doing. (laughs) It's like what Peter said. Where else can I go? (laughs) And my kids, we win. My kids are safe. They both love the Lord. Amen. They both, you know, like I said, my daughter was getting ready for church and she was... You know, she, she loved the Lord and yeah. she, so she's in his house and, and my other daughter, her twin daughter, they're identical. So they're really close. Wow. And, uh, um, she said, I know that Sarah forgave him right away. And, and I don't know, you know, they just, have always had this connection. I don't know. There's something about identicals that, yeah. you know, there, there's a, there's a deep connection there. They say it's the deepest connection 
Um, of course, yeah, it's almost yeah. Like, yeah. So there's always wow. been that, but it's affected my daughter. My daughter said, "I'm not a, I, you know, I'm not gung ho about following Jesus." You know, she, uh, he's yeah. taken both my kids. You guys have served him. I've watched your life, yeah. and you know, you've gotten a lot of shit for it. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's it's the like, curse. You know, I mean, following Jesus, there's a, you know, uh, consider the cost. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, it is like, I would not give it up. I love, you know, uh, it's, mm. but I, it's like, you know what? And I've learned Jesus in a way you don't learn him. Yeah. You know, Jesus has been with me yeah. even when he says no. And I've been super honest with him. Yeah. And this is the other thing I've learned. I don't need to go to God and, and, you know, oh, thou goddess who liveth above yeah, yeah, the yeah. clouds. He knows. I, you know, I go to God, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And I feel like, <laughs> you know what? I absolutely disagree. Absolutely couldn't disagree more. And, uh, you know, but nonetheless, you're the shot caller. Well, who was it who challenged God, you know, obviously with him, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? And they say, well, Moses is well challenging God, and any Jew will tell you if you don't challenge God, if you don't flex on God, you don't get any respect from God because that's how they always <laughs> challenge you. And I wouldn't go preaching that, but I'm saying, but so it, it, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I and just want to, yeah. I think there's one verse in Job that just sums it up so well. I think it's in 38 when uh, he's, you know, he's got all his complaints about God. Why did I lose my 10 kids? Why did everything I touch was gold, and then it turned to ashes. I mean, what yeah. is going on here? Yeah. And God spoke to him, and he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Yeah. Well, where was Job? He wasn't created yet. Yeah. Though he slain so me. This yeah. slot of creation only takes this much, just like my life, your life. We yeah. only take up this much space yeah. of all that God has done. Yeah. So we are incapable of grasping what the plan is. But this is where faith comes in. Faith is, I trust that yeah. there is a plan, and you yeah. said you'd work it out for good, and yeah. I trust that that will happen, though I see it not fully. Yeah. Though, yeah. I, you know, I experience the exact opposite of that. I know that mm -hmm. you're a good God. Like my wife, for an example, she could not sing love song. When, when worship would come on wow. and we do worship, and the songs were how much Jesus loves us, she told, I don't know. That, wow. you know, what he's allowed in my life doesn't feel like love to me. Yeah. And yeah. praising God, the God of creation, the God who's made it all, the God who, yeah, okay, I can do that. Wow. But when it was intimate. When it's mm, personal. Yeah. You've stabbed me pretty good. Wow. You've stabbed me pretty hard. And, uh, I, you know, now that has changed over time, <laughs> but it's, you know, and, and, and this is the beautiful thing. We've always been real. Yeah. So this is real. And, and I just say things that other people would say, but it's not sometimes appreciated in the Christian circles we sometimes run around. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like we're supposed to paint that, you know, whatever God does, I'm cool with. You know, God is so good. Yeah, he is so good. But he's also, man, he's got a plan. And I don't care what you pray, he's going to make the plan happen. Yeah. And if the plan yeah. was for my children to go to heaven so that it would accomplish greater things for the kingdom and be a blessing, yeah. then that plan is standing because yeah. he's the shot caller. Well, that's so Romans I, 8. That's, uh, Romans, that's Romans 8. All things yeah. work together for the good. 10 verses earlier, 
I don't consider the present sufferings. I don't consider what Pastor Joe is going through. I don't consider what our listeners are facing. I don't consider what Brian might be experiencing as being worth to be compared with the glory that will be revealed and then 829 because of being conformed into his son. But I hear your wife's voice singing that song in that moment. Like Jesus is right there. Like I got you. That's it. But, but again, by turning to him, by struggling with him, that's acknowledging him. That's the worship. You know, that's Elijah under the tree, not wanting to live. Take me. And the angel shows up, gives him food. There's your physical, gives him an emotional. And then even gives him the spiritual as Elijah figures out. And you just said it about God having a plan. Elijah was on a journey. All of our listeners are his workmanship, his poema, his poem. I'm on a journey. Pastor Joe's on a journey. Anyone listening's on a journey. But this is, yeah, this is, I don't know that I'll ever have another podcast like this. And I'm even just thinking as you're saying it, you got to go up today and said, I'm just overwhelmed by the whole of my life from 50 years ago, from a priest, from my struggles, from a beer run, from my family. Why am I going to spend two and a half hours with Brian? But here you are being used. Where else would you go? You know, this is this is your identity. <laughs> well, what's the value if we don't use it for God's glory? Amen. And 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 to realize that I will struggle with the loss of my kids for the rest of my life. Mm. I will struggle. I will see my grandkids struggle. Mm. I will see. I rem, I uh, our Absolutely. littlest one told yeah. Therese, uh, the grandma. She he said. Hey, can you not come to this class? Let Auntie come. That's what he calls, uh, you know, his mom's sister. Yeah. Why? Why? Because she's younger. She's like the other parents. Something's it's so weird going to school stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. going to a second grader school stuff when all the people in there are in their late 20s, yeah. early 30s with a seven-year-old, six-year-old, five-year-old, yeah. and were our age going in there because we are the, you know, and the people in the school, they get to know their story. So these kids are always carrying a, you know, a load. That they're they that family, they're that, well, you know, it makes it feel any better. My kids don't want me to go places and I'm only 44. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, we but can the, identify. <laughs> but those kids, you know what? Here's the reality. Those kids might even hear this one day. I might even look back one day and be moving around on the internet one day and hear Grandpa Papa Joe talk like this and about Grandma and be like, wow, God provided in who you are because you shouldn't have made it based on the priest. You shouldn't have made it based on, you know, your dad. You shouldn't have made it based on all these things, but God. So for everyone listening, you know, but but God. So <laughs> yeah. And everybody's, and, and this is the beauty. God gives us the grace yeah. we need to live out the call we have one day at a time. Mm. I only have enough grace for today. Amen. And I can think, and I and I can count on that. Yeah. And I can handle anything today. Yeah. And that's what we have to learn to live is in today. Mm. And we still got jobs to do, and still got a future, and all that stuff. Yeah. But I live in today, and I and I can and I've learned to embrace my feelings. I'm sad. Yeah. yeah. I miss them because every time we get together with. Her siblings or my siblings, and there's eight kids in my family, seven in hers, we're the only ones that have lost children. There's always like, we're happy for all their kids, yeah, but we're in a little different boat. Yeah. You know, Christmas, we always are missing two people. 
Thanksgiving, at birthdays, you know. Yeah, now things that are birthday. said mean something else. Like you said, the fracturing is like when someone talks about this, there's two thoughts that come to mind. Or when this, same with us, with, you know, my wife's mom, but it's in its right order. So I guess I'd say this because I've had almost like, you know, three hours of your time. Um, wow. what, what do you think then is the most important thing for our listeners? Like their relationship with Jesus, what does that look like? He lived, he died, he went to the cross. He offers everyone listening, whether you're Pastor Joe as a kid, whether you're him doing beer runs, whether you're Brian the skater thinking he's got to figure it figured out. What would you tell us about Jesus for us to know? Um, what we need to know that Jesus is in charge. And there is a plan that encompasses every part of your life mm. and that things will happen in your life that you will have to deal with, um, you know, and there'll be great things and there'll be, everybody goes through trauma. Everybody goes through tragedy. Mm. And like Peter says, you're not, you know, don't consider it odd that you're going through this as if you're the only mm. one people yeah. throughout the world are going through this, yeah. you know? So, um, I don't get a pass as a Christian on life. I get the comfort of God. I get the grace of God. I get the purposes of God. I get, you know, God's presence, but I don't get a pass. So whatever can happen to anyone else can happen to me. And it's not all going to happen to me, but I will be giving, be given a cross to bear or crosses to bear. And my job as a follow of, follower of Christ is to bear them well. Is to them well, you know, I don't get to choose them all, but I get to carry them, and I Amen. want to be better through it. And I know that God's using it to help other people. Mm. You know, uh, I'm not the only one. I and I tell people this all the time. I'm not the only one to to blaze any trail. Every trail you and I or any other Christian <laughs> will have to walk. It's a well worn trail. And there are other people who have navigated it. Yeah. I want to navigate it well and also help the person behind me that's entering into that navigation path or entering into that path that they have no idea. And mm -hmm. so we get and and part of that is sharing our story. And it's not all glitter and glamour. It's it's you know, it's in the trenches stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the last thing I would say is you need to understand this. If God wants to reach certain types of people, he has to give us commonality. Mm -hmm. And most of us would not ever choose the commonality he, he has for us, but God trusts us enough. Mm -hmm. Like he did with Peter. Peter, you're going to betray me. But when you're restored, mm -hmm. I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. But when you're restored, what's he say? Strengthen your brothers. Yeah. Oh, those guys. Because they did sheep. it too. They just did it less. It's not written about. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, help, I know this, this all begins with that relationship with Jesus Christ. You've heard Pastor Joe say he confessed, he cried out. That's a free gift. And we've both messed up. Everyone listening's messed up. Um, if someone was perfect, they would never need Jesus because they never need their sins forgiven. He never would have had to die for them. But it's appointed man, woman, everyone that's ever lived to die once, then judgment. We escape that because of the blood of Jesus. And I hope today you've just heard two brothers talking about God and you've laughed with us. Um, I've laughed a lot. Pastor Joe's laughed. But you've heard a man and about a woman and a family that have stood in the trenches that I wouldn't wish on anyone, and, and they're standing. 
you know, and they've questioned, and they've been really, really real about that. And I'd hope that you can message Pastor Joe when you come out to Huntington, you know, come visit branches, come see his place, come encourage us. I can go there anytime. And whenever I've been there, brother, you're just preaching the word of God. It doesn't feel recovery to me or not. This could just be a church I'm part of, but I'm planning at branches. So with that, how does someone get a hold of you? Is there like a his place? Your, is there your Instagram or your website or just to check into some sermons? Go, Yeah, you can do all that. You can, uh, I would, I'll give you my email. Yep. Um, Seven one. I mean, Joe.Fury at hisplace.com. Joe.Fury, F-U-R-E-Y at hisplace.com. Yep. And I'll get back to you. Wow. And uh, we do have Instagram, but uh, I'm a little more old school. So if you yeah. email me, that'll yeah. help me a lot. Yeah. And then what's the His Place website? Uh, hisplace.com. Hisplace.com. Um, yeah, simple. Hisplace.com, uh, Westminster. If you go to hisplace.com, yep. look for Westminster. There's a few His Places around. But yeah. uh, you want to go to Westminster. And I've and, got right yeah. here his place HB, his place OC. So, and yeah. there's his place. Yeah, that's the Westminster one. So, guys, yeah. I'll put the links below. But, you know, hit up Pastor Joe, encourage him, and listen to some of these amazing sermons, all the rest. So, well, guys, First Corinthians one eighteen says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And thank you all for tuning in, for listening, for the likes, for the shares, for those who even partner with me, because I just put these things up because there's men and women of God who have stories to share. But before we go, uh, Pastor Joe, would you just mind praying us out? Yes, Lord, I just lift up uh, everyone that will listen or watch yes, this Jesus. podcast. I pray you would bless them. Yes, you God. would strengthen them. I pray you'd give them a greater vision of what's going on in their life and not let them be struggling with the confusion and, and, and not understanding rule them. Father, I pray for the faith of everyone that hears, whether it's beginning faith, whether it's uh, middle faith, whether it's long-term faith that you would strengthen them and Lord God, use our lives for good in our generation. Yes, Lord. I pray that you would use everyone that's listening, their lives for good in our generation. So, Lord God, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for what all that you've done in him and through him and continue to use him in. So bless this time. Bless uh, everyone that hears this and let your will be done in our lives because we know your will is good. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, guys, thank you all again. Hit up Pastor Joe. Brother, it's been so good connecting. I need to just swing by when I'm not preaching or doing whatever anyway. Grab I lunch. Chris and I know we need to. You're as busy as I am at times. We need to take that time. But, you know, um, love you. Appreciate you. Praying for that ministry, guys. Be praying for Pastor and that crew. God bless you all. We'll talk soon, brother. Amen. Amen, brother. God bless you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> love you, man. You too. Thank you.